Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We've got the usual crew here today. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. With me, I have Josh Torres. Idea Factory won't stop texting me now. <laughs> um, Adam Vitali. Hello. And Chaman Wu. Hello. Uh, James will be uh, joining us later, hopefully. We'll see if he's able to make time for that. But otherwise, uh, we are recording this on the 10th of September here in the U.S. It is the 11th in Japan. We are a week or with less than a week away from Tokyo Game Show. I think some people, including some of us here, have been putting together uh, basically their itinerary of what they're going to pay attention to over the next week. TGS is uh, held between the 15th and the 18th, I believe, uh, of, of the upcoming week. So, and obviously with the time zone difference <laughs> and accounted for. So, uh, Josh, I don't know how much you're planning to like stay up at ungodly hours for uh, <laughs> for the next week, but I saw that you've been kind of trying to scope out what your plans are for for your upcoming like scheduling for the next several days and it looks like it's pretty packed um it's you know it's your typical tgs week so uh, every tgs i kind of just uh you know uh, god bless sal romano of gamatsu uh they've been doing a fantastic job uh keeping track of all when things happen during like live events uh on their calendar on their site um, and so I took a look at like what uh, the TGS schedule looked like on their site, and did some time zone conversions and whatnot. And you know the Japan time zone with the Pacific in the U.S. is they don't really um, mesh well together. So <laughs> we'll see what my sleeping schedule looks like this week. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's I don't know. It's kind of scary the, looking at it. I guess we'll talk about it more later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get we'll get into it later. Um, but it's uh, it's looking to be a pretty packed one uh, as we're getting nearer and nearer, and more companies start announcing what sort of stages and events they're doing at TGS. It, it's there's a lot going on this year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week when we're recording on day like three or four of TGS, and you'll be like completely sleep deprived. But uh, hopefully, I had some good news to you know carry you through next week's podcast if you're here. Yeah, uh, so I, I should I should be like last week. You know, um, I wasn't here because bad things happened to my main computer, and I was like, oh, I, I got that sort of uh, fix. So uh, th- thankfully, that's back in working order after a little bit of a catastrophe. Um, and yeah, and, and, and it's just it's kind of been a, a, a kind of the calm before the storm almost this week, right? It's like. Like something's happened. There's some games that came out uh, that's wor- that are that are worth talking about. But it's kind of been a, a, a slower week the, because every, everything's going to be just put into the. It's, it's going to be like a chaos next week. So the only the only thing this week going on besides besides a little bit of uh, games here and there is out of nowhere. Um, a few weeks back, we were talking about when uh, that Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters game was announced for localization. Uh, Adam and I were talking about like how Idea Factory like was distributing that news first to people who signed up with their phone numbers, and they mm-hmm. would text them about it. So this was like on August 11th, and then out of nowhere this week, starting on Thursday, you j- I just get a text out of nowhere from them uh, from Neptune saying, "You ever just uh, think about putting?" Question mark. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? And then yesterday. 
She's like, hey, my sister wants to try my R phone. She's going to give you a call this time tomorrow, okay? I'm like, no, don't give me a call. And I didn't never did, didn't get a call unless it was like one of those spam phone calls that I ignore. So it could have been that. And then one right before this podcast is from Nepgear this time saying, it's my turn to step out, uh, step up, pre-ordered Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters at Retailers Today. And then the <laughs> fucking link. So, yeah, that's... uh. Uh, other than games, I've just been getting weird texts from Idea Factory trying to call me. I guess you know. Is that uh, was that any something that anyone could sign up for, or was it something that you got access to for having like the RPG site outlet? Anyone I, could sign I don't, up for it, but we yeah. could sign up for it early. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, that was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm just like the the privilege of being texted by Nepgear. <laughs> I don't know. Thank God. Please well, God. <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, you can unsubscribe either that or you get to enjoy the. Uh, I mean, it, they 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 say on each uh, text you can reply uh, st- stop in caps to make it stop, and I'm like, I'm already here. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> well, like you said, it is been a quiet week. This week, a little bit less quiet than last week. Last week, we had a good opportunity to talk about some classic games uh, and some smaller pieces pieces of bit news and indie news. We actually have a few uh, a few kind of heavy hitters and some big announcements this week. Obviously, nothing compared to what's coming up with TGS. But this week, uh, I'm looking at our little podcast outline here. And I don't know, there's a fair bit of things to talk about. And t- two of these are basically we're going to be talking about here right up front is that we obviously have our a week plus into September now. And we've got two, you know, mid-tier releases that certain people have been looking forward to in the RPG space. And we're going to be talking about these two up front. Uh, both of these games have reviews up on the site. Uh, so as we talk about them, we'll direct you to those reviews uh, as we get to them. But for the first one, we're going to be talking about a game uh, called Steel Rising. This is a game that Spider Studio put out uh, a couple of days ago. And Adam was able to look at this game and cover it up on the site in a formal review. But before you read that, we we figured, hey, we'll give an opportunity to uh, a lot of times the embargo and the review right, right up don't line up so well, where we'll, we'll talk about the game one week on the podcast and the next week we'll say, by the way, we got the review up. Uh, now we have it both up at the same time for this game and the next game we'll talk about. So I'll hand it off to Adam to start out with for this week. Uh, so last week, Adam, you played uh, Cool Delka in the, in the, uh, on the sideline as a classic game, but now you also have played through Steel Rising as a recent RPG release. Uh, what exactly is Steel Rising? Because I know it's a little bit of a, of a lower tier title. And what were your thoughts on it? All right. So in France, in Paris, there's a, there's a development company known as Spiders. It's always kind of funny because sometimes they're, sometimes they're referred to as Spider Studio, but sometimes they're just called Spiders, which is funny when you put that in like copy, like Spiders have announced. Um, anyways, uh, they have made quite a few RPGs and have for a while, starting, I don't know, like 10 years ago with like Mars Warlog. Does anyone remember that? I remember Probably not. that. <laughs> and then they, they, they made in the past, not necessarily in order, the Technomancer. They made Bound by Flame. Um, but back in 2019, they released Greedfall. And I think that was the one that was easily their biggest success. They said so themselves. And people at the time were pretty fond of it, you know. Not maybe super polished, not necessarily AAA, but it was a generally well-liked RPG. And many people compared it to like the Bioware-style RPG in terms of the quest writing, the character writing, the relationships. And even the combat itself was sort of, you know, it's a little different. But um, that game did pretty well for itself. And it was by far their biggest success. And it did so well that it's getting a sequel. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're, they're, they, they announced a sequel for it, which is actually is interesting because they announced Steel Rising before they announced Greedfall 2. And Steel Rising, it's kind of interesting because it kind of goes in the complete other direction as far as RPGs go. You know, rather than like a narrative character-based Bioware-style RPG, Steel Rising is a Souls-like. Uh, I mean, they, they refer to it as such, you know. I feel like in the past it was sort of cringy to compare games to Dark Souls, but like it's it's its own genre now, and they they literally just call it, "Hey, we're doing we're making a Souls like." Um, so that's obviously a bit different uh, in terms of style of game, in terms of you know less so focused on the characters and the questing, and it's more real time stamina based. You know, all the stamina based combat, all the things you expect from a Souls like game, and it has all the same, you know, features. Like, for example, you pick up essences that act as souls that you can spend to level up your character or spend as currency. There are vestals, which are basically bonfires, which you you use to basically heal your character, but also respond to enemies, you know, around you. Um, so all those same systems. Now, Steel Rising, in terms of its setting. Like I said, Spiders is a French studio, so it's very apt that they make this game that is basically an alternate take on the French Revolution. Um, so you're set in the late 1700s, and you are you play as an automaton, a robot named Aegis, and you are basically in the employ of Marie Antoinette, and you are uh, there's there's a this, your backstory is a little bit mysterious at the start in terms of like where did you come from, why are you a robot. Uh, but you're tasked with basically stopping the mechanoid army of the tyrannical King Louis the Sixteenth. I think I got the number right. Um, and you aren't really given a whole lot of like premise beyond that at the start. You're just kind of like dropped in the game world, and they say go, and there you go. Yeah, well, and one then, of the things that like uh, struck out to because I saw I saw I watched some footage of this from other streams as well. Like when you start the game, it's like a pretty lengthy intro cutscene, and then like. They'll be like, what are the automaton that doesn't like doesn't fall under like the evil army or whatever? Like she's our only hope left. It's like there's like a create a character aspect to mm-hmm. it at the beginning too, because like it's sort of like in Souls, you you take like a starting class and like you're starting like arsenal as well. Yeah, so uh the character creation system is a little bit limited. Like it's not super in depth in terms of how many different ways you can build your Aegis, but um uh, you do get to pick between one of four classes, and I don't remember them off the top of my head here. There's like an arranged base class. There's one that's more based on like afflictions, which I'll get to later. There's like I did the heavy weapons class, which is basically big hammer because yeah. I'm basic. I, 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 had to I remember there there were uh, there was a dancer with like war fan, oh, yeah, and, and I think an alchemist. I don't know what they do, but mm-hmm. yeah. But in a lot in a lot of souls, like the starting class. It's just kind of like a starting stat spread, but then you're, it doesn't really like by the time you're soul level 15 or 20, like you can kind of tune it to be wherever you want. Like your starting class matters less the further you're in. Now, I know right, it's kind of exactly. hard to judge when you've Same only here. got a single playthrough, but I assume that it's not like, oh, darn, I should have picked the sword class instead of the hammer class. Now I'm yeah, screwed. Obviously, I've only played through the game once, but it seems to be just that where you pick up your starting class, you'll basically be given certain weapons to start with and get my case, a big hammer, but not only can you like buy other weapons with your essences, if you want, um, you will find plenty of other weapons along the way. So if you picked the heavy weapons class, like I did, but for some reason you decided, you know what? I really like the, the fan weapons. You can 
start using fan weapons and you can change your stat spread to maybe be more suited for that or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a starting, you know, stat sheet and then you can adjust it from there and you're not like locked into it for the game took me about 20 to 25 hours, I think, um, something like that. So it's not super long, uh, for an RPG, but anyways, so the game itself, it's, it's a little bit faster, um, for a game of its style, I think in terms of like your motion and how fast you move through the city and, uh, things like that. The, probably the biggest, most unique, there's two components to it that I would say are like it's gimmicks, how it stands out. One is a cooldown system. So you're a robot, right? And when you run out of stamina, you know, typically you just have to like back off for a bit, wait for it to refill and then, you know, go back at it. Cause everything you do causes stam or costs stamina, whether it's like a, a sidestep or a block or an attack. Right. Um, but here, once your stamina depletes completely, you can press a button to basically activate a cooldown and there's a timing to it. You have to time it properly. And if you time it perfectly, your stamina bar will refill all the way instantly and you'll take a little bit of ice damage as like a trade-off because um, you're cooling yourself down. So it sort of reminds me of the key pulses in Neo. Uh, not quite the same as that. That was more like timing your attacks and whatnot, but you kind of have to time a pulse, if you will, a cooldown. And if you time it right, you can get all your stamina back, and that allows you, if you can time like multiple in a row, to really keep up the assault um, and manage your stamina well. Does the However, timing get more difficult every time you like chain them no, together? It doesn't. Oh. But the so, uh, so thing I is, you can't it. time it too many times because if you do, you literally will freeze yourself. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I was that. wondering, like, there's got to be some, like, constraint on abusing it. Well, the thing is, if you mistime it poorly, you'll be, you'll be more, you'll be depleted for stamina more, even longer than you would have been have you just not timed it at all. Yeah, this so, reminds like, me of the active reload system from Gears of War, when, like, when you reload a weapon in that game, there's, like, a little pip that you have to perfectly time in a certain area to refill all your bullets at once. But if you mistime it, it'll take a little bit longer to do the reload. But like, for example, one of the bosses I was fighting, um, I I knocked him down with my hammer. You can do like a charge attack and that knocks a lot of things down. And I was very lucky or maybe skilled or maybe both to like keep timing my cooldowns properly. And I could just get keep knocking him down in like an endless, you know, lock, if you will. And he couldn't get back up. And I beat him very quickly uh, just because of basically this cooldown system. So if you get good at it, it, I don't want to say it trivializes the game, but it basically works very strongly in your favor. Um, and you can even get upgrades to make the damage that you take from the cooldown minimal. So you can do it more frequently or more often or for a longer period of time. So that's one of the ways which I think, you know, this game sort of sets itself apart. The other way is less more less so combat and more so traversal. There's a I, I, I know someone out there is going to cringe at what I'm about to say, but there's a slight Metroidvania element to this. Wow, we're using Souls-like <laughs> and Metroidvania in the same game well, discussion. It's the easiest wow. way just to get yeah. a general know, picture of the description <laughs> here. So as you work your way through the game, after defeating certain you know story bosses, you unlock skills that uh, basically you know, expand your traversal arsenal. And like, for example, one of them is a hook shot or a grappling hook, if you will, where like, okay, now you have a grappling hook and now there are several places throughout the city that you can access with the grappling hook. Um, both, you know, obviously progressing through the game, you're going to need it, 
But if you, you know, backtrack through earlier areas, not only does it allow like shortcuts, like, oh, now I can get over from this area to this area much more quickly than I could before now that I have the grappling hook, but also, you know, unlocks new areas you couldn't get to before at all. Uh, there's also, an, you also get a skill to basically knock down like these kind of broken walls. Like before they were just kind of in the way, but then you can eventually learn a skill to knock them down. And there's another, like, a, it's like an air dash. You know, a lot of games have this where you kind of jump and press a button and kind of like dash forward to like yeah. expand your jumping capability. And there's a, little, there's a little bit of platforming throughout the game also. You know, there is a jump button. Uh, a lot of Souls games don't have that. Uh, Elden Ring had a jump button, right? Yeah, <laughs> Elden Ring and uh, Sekiro were the actual yeah, from so software games. There's a jump button. Um, so there is a little bit of platforming. It's not great, but it, luckily there's not a lot. Um, but there are some places where it's like, hey, you need to jump from this building, from this rooftop to this rooftop to get somewhere and maybe find an item or or, or a quest or whatnot. So throughout the game, kind of the main thing that you're doing is you learn relatively quickly that King Louis has seven titans, is what they're called. They're like the bigger machines. And these machines are powered by a live person. And these are people from, you know, French, uh, the French Revolution history, you know, kind of like an alternate, you know, version of them, historical fiction version of them. Like, for example, one of them is Robespierre. And there's a, a character named Mirabeau, who I know is a, based on a real person. I'm not an expert on the French Revolution, sorry. There's like Jean Raymond um, and things like that. I think I got his name right. How do you feel about anyways, the setting in general? Because this is kind of betraying like my impression, but like maybe I'm just basic. But when I when I first saw that this was set in like an alternate history, 1700s French Revolution, like characters in powdered wigs and things like that, I don't really like mesh with it. Like I don't know, like if I don't know if I'm just basic, but I'm like hmm, maybe I prefer if it were more cyberpunky or more post-apocalyptic or even just more medieval fantasy. It's just like the the time period that it is set in. I just have a hard time watching like the marketing or the trailers for it and getting super excited. I don't know if you felt the same way or if you meshed with it pretty well, or if maybe like the voice acting helps elevate it a bit. Just what, how you feel just about like the setting of the game and the premise. Well, this is where I kind of have to think like, okay, this is a game set in French, set in France from French developers. So they're probably yeah. a lot more in tune with these characters than we are. Like, I don't know, like Assassin's Creed three for us, we see like all the, uh, you know, the revolutionary, you know, uh, historical Bigger figures heads. that we're all aware of as Americans. But to other people in Europe, they're like, oh, yeah, these dorks. Um, and I don't know if I felt that way or towards these. But, you know, you are meeting these basically fictionalized versions of these French historical figures. Um, and to me, it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of some of these people, uh, you know, very briefly or here and there. Uh, I, did ha I did have the problem where I... They're all they all wear similar attire and have similar haircuts. I'm like, wait, who was he again? And so you're you're like the doctor and you're like the 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 general. And so I kind of forgot. You know, it took me a bit to remember who was who exactly because they're not super distinct in how they look. Um, I think the voice acting is actually pretty good. I have to be honest though. I probably would have played this game in French, like French dub, uh, if it was offered. Because like, why not? You know, French game developed mm -hmm. by French people set in France. Why not? But it's not. It's just in English for whatever reason. Um, is it English does that only thing. Uh, voiceover? Yes. Huh, um, okay. it, it does that thing, that, which is, you know, I get why, but it's a little bit silly where they mostly speak in English, but then like every other sentence they'll throw in French words. Oh, um, man, that's that's always weird when they do that, especially when and, it's like their native tongue, too. Yeah, and it's subtitled uh, oh. where like 
where one thing I liked about Greedfall, and this is not quite the same topic, but one thing I liked about Greedfall is the native language in that game, which is made up, they did not subtitle it. You learn from context what those words mean when you play the game. And it's really cool. It's actually one of the biggest yeah, strengths of that yeah, game. I agree. So as a person who reviewed Greedfall for the site, I actually really love that. I know it's a tangent here, but they would use proper nouns that are these made up words of this made up language, and they would not tell you what it meant. You just had to say like, oh, that refers to this, or that's something that they say with this sort of greeting or, or goodbye. So it's interesting they take French. And, the, and from what I saw when you were streaming it, like some pretty common French terms and like just translating them, like, oh, we can't yeah, they, possibly they let the player. It. Like, for example, he, the, they'll just say like, mes amis, and it's like my friends. Like, oh, thanks. Like, I, I couldn't have <laughs> deciphered that. <laughs> like, I yeah. couldn't have deciphered that out of my own. It's a little bit silly. Um, I will say, uh, small thing, the facial animation is not like AAA, but it's improved. That was one of the, probably one of the weaker points of Greedfall is that it's, you know, some of the polish in the animations aren't as good as, you know, you know, cyberpunk or whatever uh, in terms of uh, I don't know about, character I don't, models. Uh, I know what you mean, but just like talk about polish and talk about cyberpunk. I'm like, well, oh, wait, cyberpunk's what? like character models. Yeah. Like, in, I, okay. in, in cutscenes and things, right? Yes. When, yeah, when, really you specif- when, you, when you specify that, that makes sense. But I don't know. Just hearing polish and cyberpunk uh, in the same sentence. I'm just like, oh, okay. We got to, we got to. So specifically referring clearly. to like character model animations. They're a little got bit it, better got here. It. Yeah. I do um, like, yeah. I do like also like the animations on like kind of like the, the jerky movements of the automaton that you use. Like it's a, it's supposed to be robotic. It's supposed to be a, little, a bit janky. So it maybe in in the way they contextualize, you know, some of the more uh, like like you know sudden weird animations like you normally wouldn't see a human body do, but for an automaton or robot, like it's it's very like kind of stiff at, at points. It's kind of like jerky at points that I kind of do like. It's like these aren't like these aren't like high fidelity androids like you would see like in your automaton, for yeah. example. They're like they're you know they're like. St- steampunk androids yeah, almost they, yeah they almost have like doll joints almost in, in the way they and animate. both of the animation is also like when you use like a flask for instance i don't even remember what they call flasks in this game a burette um like uh, agus will literally like bend her arm like backwards like in an impossible pose oh, to yeah, like grab right. it from her back or whatever oh, yeah. <laughs> uh to, to 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 use it um i think it's like an oil burette like you're literally like oiling yourself to heal yourself uh okay. so but in terms of the game's like flaws, as you save these people from their titan, they kind of convene these historical figures, and they give you quests. And they're, they're just like side quests in any RPG. Uh, they're listed in your log. You get a waypoint. You know, you get a, an objective to achieve and whatnot. And these quests aren't very good. I, and I feel like that's easy to say about quests, but it's really, a lot of them are just like, go to this place and interact with a thing and come back. And then you get, you finish it. And it's like almost the value in the quest is almost just that you sometimes get access to an area you weren't in before, which is sort of cool in like a small little area. But the quest itself is like, I feel like 80% of them are just like interact with this thing elsewhere and return to me. And it's just, I don't know. It wasn't very interesting from a gameplay perspective. It wasn't very interesting from a like a character or story perspective. It really kind of felt like it was just there to almost like fill a box on a checklist. Like, yep, we have quests. Um, so I didn't really care for those. The bosses kind of all felt similar to me. The main bosses in that obviously their like visual design is a little bit different, but they all kind of had like a similar pattern where it's like they will all do like a, a very obviously told charge attack of some sort where it's like very 
very well flag to you like you here comes this the is when you attack avoid this yeah here, here's here's where you dodge and here's where you here's your opening to attack right now and it's just kind of like eh, this you know they all kind of have that same sort of pattern to it and they it, the game is not super hard um and i'll get back to that later but i kind of the bosses were a little bit disappointing even to the point where uh, Josh was actually watching me sort of uh, do this. I fought the final boss of the game. I didn't know it was the final boss of the game. I, I knew I was like in the final stretch, but I was sort of thinking this was like, oh, this is like the penultimate boss. Like this is the warm up or whatever. It didn't, it didn't really feel like a final boss uh, from like a, a story perspective. It didn't like appear like it from a battle perspective. It just kind of felt like any of the other bosses I felt. So I was kind of like, okay, let me beat this guy first and see what happens. And then I... Got the credits. Like, oh, that was it. Okay, that, I wasn't expecting that. And that's that's never a good thing where you where you kind of didn't even realize you beat the game until the no, credits. No, no, Adam. Right? I know I know you haven't played Demon Souls, which you should. Um, but it has a very and I'm trying not to spoil it, but it has a very famous final boss where it's designed in a very particular way to be to feel different from a typical climax uh, i don't know if maybe is that the intent here like oh it was supposed to kind of take you by surprise or was it not if it was supposed to be that it didn't quite click in that way I don't, i'm not sure it didn't i don't think it was in terms of storytelling or whatever like i assume demon souls which i've sort of heard of i assume there's like a story reason for it or a thematic thing a thematic reason for it yeah we'll say we'll here, say thematic, just, yeah yeah but here it's just kind of like oh that's you know that was just like the final boss of Fort King Louis. Now the thing is also like a little wrinkle to this. One of like the major villains, uh, slight spoiler, you don't really conclude with him in the story here. But the thing is, there's a DLC that's already been announced that has his name on it. So it's kind of like, oh, that's probably going to be, you know, taken care of in the DLC. So that's why that didn't really wrap that story thread didn't really wrap up here. So that kind of feels when, a little awkward. Where that, it's like, that's the, that's the worst type of DLC where it's like, we've already announced it. There's clearly like feelers for it in the main game. It's like, yeah, this is, yeah. Are you ready to have the privilege of giving us nine 99 for the figure out how this part ends? I don't know. Yeah. The, the DLC is called like uh Caliostro uprising or something. I don't, it's got mm-hmm. Caliostro is the guy. So, Adam, I, 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 I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, since you, you were wondering, like, you know, if it would be, like, uh, the type of game where you could, like, load up your save after the game if you <laughs> want to tie up any loose ends. What, 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 how did that game, uh, how did this game handle it? Uh, there's other things I want to talk about, but I'll also talk about this. So, I don't know if this is a glitch or not. It feels like a glitch. Um, where I beat the game, and when you enter, like, the final area in the game... I should mention before that the game's world is kind of like separated into like eight separate sections. So they're like levels, if you will, not quite like Neo based levels, but you know, it's just like the world is not like a big seamless world. It's like you go from eight different sections of Paris that are kind of separated from each other. But as you enter the last section of the game, like the final part, the game even warns you that this is the final section of the game. You can't return to do quests or whatnot after this point. And I was like, sure, I'm ready to go. And then at the time, I just quickly glanced that the the game like the UI popped up a message saying like creating a save for future use um and or something along those lines I'm like oh okay so it's like creating like a like a point here that I can return to I suppose uh before the final boss I guess that sort of makes sense um it was something like that and so I did the final level and I beat the final boss again kind of surprisingly and then 
I go it's after the credits, it shoots me back to the main menu, right? And I'm like, all right, let me load up my save and see like what it does. Because I know sometimes these games will are, will automatically like throw you in a new game plus. Sometimes it's like a point before the final boss or whatnot. I load up my save and it shows my character for like a second. And then it like fades to black and then the credits roll. It, it feels very awkward. Um, and then it shoots me back to the main menu again. I'm like, oh, let me, if I load my save again, it'll show my character again for just a second, load the credits, and then back to the main menu. So I don't know if that's, that doesn't feel like intended behavior to me. Um, it could be some weird consequence it, or artifact of the pre-release status. Might be, yeah. It might just be because I had pre-release code. But I'm pretty sure there is supposed to be a new game plus. Um, and then this is like also this game only has like uh, a single save slot. Right? Yeah, like you, you can't make saves like obviously for a game well, like this. Most you can't like, yeah. yeah, you can't yeah. save the game yourself manually. It's just kind of saved for you as you proceed. You only get one file. So literally like if I wanted to play this game again, I have to start over. I mean, no new game plus, no post game for me. It's because my save file just loads the credits and you, you won't, back out. You won't be able to figure out what happened to Kellistro or whatever. Nope. Not um, that another thing I wanted to mention. Great one thing. I, another thing I wanted to mention was the uh, there are a f- the 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 world design, like aesthetic, aesthetically and structurally. Uh, you're set in Paris, so there's a lot of Parisian streets. But the thing is, is they kind of all like look the same and blend together, and it makes it really hard to know where you're going. I feel like a good game of this style, even if you don't have a map, there's no map, um, like like a UI map or anything like that. Uh, usually have like landmarks or point or vistas or something that's like that helps you kind of get your bearings, know where you are. But in this game, there's a lot of just like city streets with samey looking buildings and samey looking roads. So it can be very tricky to actually know like where am I exactly uh, because it all looks so similar. There are a few places like around some of the palaces that look a little bit cooler, but otherwise it's a lot of roads and also a few gardens. Um, so I kind of feel like the level design isn't great in terms of, you know, landmarks, in terms of knowing where you are. The game, there, there is an optional, like, waypoint system where it actually points out, like, hey, if you want to proceed with the main story, it kind of, like, points you in that direction with, like, a flag. But it's, like, it doesn't actually tell you how to get to it. You just kind of have to navigate the streets to figure out how. And it still can sometimes be a little tricky to realize, like, oh, this is a building I can enter and leave on the other side and get to from street A to street B um, or to street C. And it's just kind of... You know, it just it's a little bit too samey for me. But otherwise, I think that covers most of the main things I have on this game. So I, I came away from the game, you know, satisfied. Like, it's an okay game. It's pretty decent. Um, it looks pretty nice, I think, for, you know, a game of its caliber and from this, a studio like this. But otherwise, I don't think it's, like, stands out really strongly from the myriad of other Souls-likes. Not too much. But... No, oh, thanks That's for covering that. it. And yeah, it's I know some people it's like Greedfall ended up kind of being like more highly regarded and more successful than I think that they were anticipating, which is obviously like we talked about why they did a sequel. And then I think people were like, oh, a Souls like. And it sounds like you think the game is fine, but in it's kind of a crowded genre where a lot of developers and a lot of really talented studios have jumped on. So this game's going to be hard to stand out. So, but I'm, I don't know. I'm happy covering it here at the start of a podcast uh, as something that's just kind of a curiosity as we uh, wait for the heavy hitters at late September to land. And like I mentioned uh, at the start of this podcast, I was just going to mention that you do have the uh, written review up on the site where you've got your thoughts, you know, more formally written down and uh, criticized out. 
Yeah, when when Steel Rising was first announced, it was kind of weird at the time. It's like this this seems like to be going the complete direction opposite of Greedfall in terms of the, what people liked about that game. That seems like a weird choice. But then later they announced Greedfall too, so it's like, oh, okay. Even if you're not big into Souls likes, you know there's a Greedfall two coming. That's presumably going to be similar to the first and hopefully better. Um, I should mention that that's a, actually a prequel. Uh, it's called Greedfall two, but it's a prequel to Greedfall in terms of its story. Um, one other thing, one yeah, last thing I want to mention about, about Steel. That. Yeah, one last thing I want to mention about Steel Rising, which I think is cool, and of course has caused a shitstorm on the Steam forums because, of course, what doesn't cause a shitstorm on the Steam forums? Um, I have the game no has idea an assist mode. Say, but... The game oh, has an assist mode. mode. Yeah. yeah, and it, the assist mode is pretty varied, not like super varied, but there's a, qu- a couple of different uh, options you have, including you can just simply put on a damage reduction. Like, I want to take fifty percent less damage. You can do it. I want to take 100% less damage, you can do it. Yeah, this game has a god mode if you want to use it, um, which I think is fine. You know, Honestly, <laughs> the games used to have god modes all the time. Um, and if you were just the type of game who are maybe interested in the setting or the developer world and you just want to play it but you don't care about Souls-likes, I think this is perfect for those types of people. Um, and I, I didn't assume use it disables it's optional. and things like that. Yeah, it does disable some achievements. Um, but like, it's totally optional. I think it's just a good option to have. Uh, you can also adjust things like um, like your stamina and uh, a few other things I don't recall off the top of my head. But there are there is an assist mode in place to basically, you know, if you just want to experience the game and not have to worry too much about the, you know, the... I don't think it's that difficult, but if you just don't want to worry about it, it's there for you. It's completely optional. I almost I mean, forgot yeah, if, the, if the developers, yeah, if the developers want the, want there to be a, a mode like that, then that by, by all means, that's fine. Like I, I, I'm of the opinion that like developers should have the freedom to like do like whatever sort of options they want in a game like this, and like whether they want to be like the intended experience or want it to be like a, a tailored experience like that. Like I think, like developers shouldn't have to like suffer shit one way or the other of like of of, of options they decide to put in, to put in or not to put in like that, right? Like mm-hmm. it, like like the uh, spider shouldn't get shit for like deciding to include a god mode for people who want to play it like that and have fun with it, and like in the same way that like from software shouldn't have to put like uh go through shit like of people wanting like a, like a, like an easy mode on their games because like you know they each each both of those development teams are very different and like they have like different goals and different intentions of like how they want the pl- the player to experience the game and that should be okay you know. Yeah, so the other things the assist mode has is uh, they're, they're, one of the assist mode things is if you die, you keep your essence. Um, cool. And another one is that it makes the cooling easy. I don't know exactly what that means. But it makes the cooling system easy. So that's that. My, my guess is uh, uh, increases like the input window for that cooldown mechanic that you talked about, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I imagine. I, I was just saying. Yeah, I, I uh, we I, I certainly needed some uh, easy cooling uh, in Southern California this week. <laughs> uh, thank, uh, thankfully, it did get there. But uh, with the uh, cloudy and gray weather, no sun in sight. But at the beginning of the weekend or late last week was uh, weather. The, the the temperatures were not good here, so I I wanted that cooling. Well, obviously, go ahead and give Steel Rising review up on RPGSite.net a read. And as I mentioned, we also had another early September release that also got a review up on the site. And this one, I'm going to hand off to Josh to uh, lead the discussion. And this is for. 
Made in Abyss, Binary Star Falling into Darkness. Now, obviously, we talked about this game a few times in like late July, early August, as it was doing its final ramp up marketing before its release. Uh, I believe that I know at least Adam decided to watch the original series ahead of this game. I don't know if it like independently of the game or just on his own, uh, but. Uh, a game for a, a kind of a well-known, iconic anime series that I have not seen. Uh, we've kind of had a few impressions about what the marketing looked like and how the game was shaping up before release. But now that the game has been out and Josh has been able to play through it and review it, we'll see about how our preconceptions were either met or uh, or not met. So, Josh, uh, Bane in Abyss, Binary Star Falling into Darkness. I don't know if you were originally planning to review this, but long story short, you ended up doing that. Yeah, so just I, I just tell- I decided. Yeah, I might as well. I was like, sure, why not? Like, you know, I'm 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 really into Made in Abyss again because I've been following uh, the new episodes of season two, and I've been really having a great time. So I was like, this is a good a great a great timely uh, release of this game because interest in Made in Abyss is like at its peak right now because of the success of season new two. anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Made in Abyss binary star falling to darkness is the kind of anime, not the anime, the like uh, the game tie-in uh, that has like two different modes that we've been uh, uh, talking about. One is called Hello Abyss, and one is called Deep in Abyss. Um, one follows like a little bit of the anime storyline, I think the beginnings of it, and while while the other mode is following an original character. What I didn't know going to this, and I think the marketing was a little deceptive on this. Um, was that the Hello Abyss that follows the source material is very much kind of a, a, a tutorial in disguise for this game. It lasts under three hours. I was very surprised at how short this this was. And this is following like the very beginning of uh, Rico and Reg's journey. These are the two main characters of Made in Abyss. So it starts like, you know, um, just to, for people who don't know the the world of Made in Abyss, um, the, 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 the uh, gist of it is that it it all takes place on this island uh, with a surrounding town town called Orth, and like this this town is kind of like circular in shape that encompasses uh, like a really huge, gigantic hole chasm in the ground um, that just extends out pretty much endlessly. It's called the abyss, um, and like the, there are layers to the abyss um, that as you descend further and further and further down. Um, it gets difficult to climb back up, but the, the the just for now, just know that like this abyss has like layers to it, and like the geography, the wildlife, kind of like the the scenery, the scenery, the imagery in between these layers are very different, and uh, and so forth. And, uh, and I'm the, sure you're getting to this, but like, what is the motivation for delving into this abyss? So for people for, for travelers that like uh, they're known as cave raiders. Um, who want to explore this abyss? Like the a lot of them, the the main goal is to get relics, uh, to bring up back to the service and like get money off of the relics, and that's how they get prestige, how they get wealth. And the deeper down you go, the more valuable relics there are. So there's like a kind of like a challenge to it of like, hey, I want to push myself and really retrieve these relics, these rare relics down at the bottom, and like I'll you know obviously be more wealthy uh, in the end. Uh, so, you know, some other people just, like, want to do it for a challenge. Some other people just want to do it, like, for kind of general curiosity. Uh, reasons uh, the, that pertain to that. Um, and But but it gets, it, it's kind of a weird thing in the abyss, and I'll expand on this further. But climbing uh, and descending down further into this uh, abyss 
uh, makes it really, really difficult to get back up. It's easy. It's easier going down than it is coming up because um, the, when you when you're ascending at any time in the abyss, there's this uh, kind of like a, a thin like force field barrier called the curse of the abyss. And like when people start ascending the abyss, like moving vertically up in it, whether it's like walking up a slope, going up a stairs, just generally climbing up. Um, they'll start to feel the effects of the curse, like in the in the early layers, it'll be like slight nausea, headache, um, some numbness. It's kind of like when you're like taking a road trip and going up like a mountain, like you'll start feeling a little bit sick, like that. While in uh, deeper layers, when you're trying to ascend in that, um, it becomes a, a kind of a bit of a bigger deal because you'll start getting things like hallucinations. You'll start bleeding out in like uh, all sorts of places in your body. You'll start like losing like uh, uh, like uh, sensory deprivation, um, and uh, those like just the effects of that curse will become more and more severe. That's kind of just like the general like world building of this like the the, the story. That's not like a um, a spoiler or anything. That's just yeah. It's it's a, it's it's a, it's like a magical force field that you can go down no problem, but like kind of come like a one way force field almost trying to come back through it. You basically have to like swim through a curse, if you will. Yeah, um, it's kind of like one, it's kind of it's kind of like one of those. Um, um, oh man, what, what what's a good? It, it's like one of those holes that like it's easy to like push through it, but when then you're trying to like get out of that uh, hole, it's like it, there's like you're you're a bit more resistance. It's it you know those like Chinese finger traps, yeah, sort of yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, sort of like that. you can push them together easy and pulling it apart, you cannot do it. I know it's like the weirdest yeah. comparison, but it's sort of like that. Yeah, you can, basically you can go down easy, you can't come back up easy. Yeah, so um, in in binary star, uh, in the in the Hello Abyss, like uh, like I said, it's uh, Rico and Reg's beginnings, how Rico met Reg, and then her time at the mm-hmm. the orphanage that she stays at. Um, for people who watch the anime, it roughly ends at episode eight of season one, where Rico and Reg descend into the third layer of the abyss. After is that leave. like halfway through, or just a, a little a little over halfway through season one alone. Gotcha. So this does not touch upon anything like at the the last batch of episodes in season one. This doesn't touch upon like uh, movie three of Beated Abyss, which acts as a sequel to season one, and it doesn't have any content from season two. Obviously, because of like how you know development of this game was made years in advance before season two aired. Um, so it, it, it I did. It was kind of weird because another significant character that you meet in season one, Nanachi. She like becomes like kind of like the, the the third main character, but like the the Hello Abyss mode in this doesn't even get to the part where Rico and Reg meet Nanachi in their story mode. So it's a it's a kind of it kind of teaches you the very basics of basics of how this game operates. Where this is this game is like a mix of a survival game and a action RPG, and um, the, it uh, teaches you stuff like hey, you gather materials as you like take trips into the abyss. You can craft them. You don't have to do a crafting table. You can do all the crafting on your character as long as they have like the materials with them in their backpack. Uh, the, the backpack has a weight limit, so you have to be very um, picky about what you decide to pick up and what you decide to you know um, keep with you because there's a very strict weight limit. And once you breach that weight limit in your backpack, your character will pretty much like you know they'll move very 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 slowly, like not even worth being overburdened at all. Um, and that uh, things will have durability, but in uh, the Hello Abyss mode, it's kind of like uh, 
like a very 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 easy mode that is like a not a good representation of like the actual difficulty curve of the game because in the hello abyss mode since you have reg with you reg is like an amnesiac robot boy uh, who can like detach his like arms like kind of like a like when he he can like fling off his uh, arm and like it's kind of like a rope attached to him so uh like in in the actual game with the okay i feel character. i feel really stupid because i did okay. not realize reg was a robot <laughs> I yeah, was, I know. I thought he was just like stylized. No, he's a robot boy. Okay, he's a robot boy. Today, yeah, yeah, but the, like the people do comment like, "Oh, you're a robot, but you look so human." That's good. Like you know, do you even comment on that? So yes, yeah, so that like a, a a big part of like the overarching story of of Made in Abyss is like, who is Reg then? Like, where did Reg come from? Like, why was he made? Who made him? Etc. Right. So, um, that not, that's the this game doesn't. Uh, touch on any of that because like it doesn't that that's much further in the series and that's one of like yeah. the that's one of like the long lingering things yeah. is who is reg it's not like the prim- like that's actually not really the main like thrust of the story that's rico's yeah. story but uh, there's also like reg is just a mysterious robot where is he from so yeah it's yeah like a side like lingering long-term thing yeah the, the the main overarching story as you mentioned is like rico's mom is like a legendary cave raider who is like uh who has the white whistle rank and like these uh the, there's like the for cave raiders in made abyss like the the whistles are sort of like uh the like promotions essentially so like she's like at the the top whistle rank she can explore all of the abyss because like formally like it to explore deeper layers of the abyss you have to like reach certain whistle ranks to do so because it'll like signify okay you're experienced enough to like tackle this layer it's sort of like a safety measure uh, uh as well so uh like you know the story made abyss was uh rico's searching for her mom she doesn't know where she she is like she knows she 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 knows that her mom is at the in the abyss and just mysteriously one day at the very beginning she gets a letter supposedly from her mom um you know someone retrieved it from the abyss um and like saying hey i'm waiting down at the bottom just uh for you and then that's what it, what the letter basically says and rico's like i have to go see my t- two eyes you know what the hell happened to my mom where is she so she you know kind of illegally uh takes uh go uh, makes a trip into the abyss with reg with no intent of going back up uh because she wants to like find her mom uh that's the, that that's kind of the main 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 of, uh, objective in that um the source material so l- like i was saying um reg pretty much kind of automates a lot of the survival elements for you in hello abyss because when you're going down the abyss there'll be like points where you can like put down rope but uh, you in this mode you don't have to uh like can like use rope that you like made or bought with you because reg has that detachable arm and you can just like use them freely to like you know kind of uh descend for you and then, like for any combat encounters, you don't have to like worry about using like your tools because your each of your tools have a durability meter. Um, and I, I know a lot of people are gonna think of Breath of the Wild, and yes, that's very much like you know there are other games that have durability meters, but uh, but a lot of people think of Breath of the Wild when it comes to durability on their tools and weapons. Um, so instead of like you using your tools to fight for you, you can have Reg fight for you. He kind of like kind of bashes everything easily. Um, but even in this Hello Abyss mode, like all your tools have in, like pretty much infinite durability if you want to get it on the action yourself. While in the main mode, it's very much not, that's not the case. So it, it kind of it, it pretty much teaches you like kind of the basic like UI of the game. 
Um, so you're I don't know. You I, get- from an outsider's perspective, that seems pretty clever to me, just a way to introduce the systems in a more interesting way. That's not just, that's not just like tutorial mode explicitly. Oh, that, that, that's I, not, I think that, it was just like not really marketed. The blunt well, way to put it, yeah. it wasn't like marketed properly, but it just it felt like like it was like, hey, this is where you can follow the story, but it's only like not even like half the story. It's just like a teaser of the story as a tutorial. So it's just a little bit like yeah. oh, like setting expectations of what it actually is. And, and I think I think it also kind of it it kind of like doesn't really represent like the survival aspect uh, for you because like once you get into like the main. OC story mode because you, you need to do this mode, uh, this Hello Abyss mode first to un- even unlock that. And here is where you make like your you make your own character. It's an original thing that like it's a, a your your protagonist is like this traveler that j- ventured into Earth and like that they want to become a cave raider and get their white whistle. That's kind of the bare bones like you know the basic story they have. Or that you do have their game original characters where you, like you kind of meet like your posse and your friends. Uh, that you met in the orphanage that you, uh, that Rico stayed at, and like you kind of work up the way to the ranks. But once you actually start getting to like the the gameplay of that mode, is like when you're actually thinking about like, oh shit, this is not like when you when you think when you go into Hello Abyss and when you swing a weapon, it's like, oh, I really don't have to worry about durability because like it seems like the durability doesn't really decrease that much. While while in the real mode, you're like, oh my god, like one swing of like my pickaxe on like um an enemy. Like we'll take off like, like one tenth of the durability meter. So like I can't really swing this that much, and I have to start thinking about like, should I bring additional pickaxes with me? Should I bring hatchets instead since they're a little bit lighter, but in exchange they do less damage, and they kind of don't have as much durability as pickaxes. Um, and you're, all, you're it's a it's a very much a, a big balancing act and a more and definitely like you have to start thinking about okay. Once I once this tool breaks, it'll uh, free up more weight on my backpack for me. So you're just like thinking about more things that like the the Hello Abyss mode didn't really teach you about. Like it just it kind of babied you through it without like telling you anything else. It it never really set a a proper expectations. And I think that kind kind of what makes Hello Abyss a bad first. What it gave me a bad first impression because I was really hoping that like. Like oh, I was like I was hoping this would be uh, really lead into the more survival aspect, and it does, but you won't know that until you get into the that mode yourself. Like if you had no prior knowledge of that, because when I was going through like the source material mode, uh, following the manga anime story, I was like, uh, I, I was like, this feels a little bit boring to be honest, and and I didn't realize then that in the OC mode, it's like okay, this is where it really really starts because. Like even in the OC mode, you didn't have access to the skill trees in the anime story mode. While in the OC story mode, this is where you see the skill tree for the first time. There's like separate skill trees for like combat, for crafting, for getting, for learning new, uh, like crafting recipes for cooking and making tools. Um, a, a skill tree for like making like your climbing faster, reducing less stamina, um, resistances against different kinds of poisons. Expanding your weight limit, expanding your storage box slots, uh, and all that. So, and the skill trees, um, you get you gain a skill point every time you level up. And you don't you don't level off of like beating up monsters. You only level up from completing quests and uh, successfully uh, retrieving relics from the abyss and uh, getting them appraised at the relic appraisal NPC. 
So it's not something you like you can't really grind levels for for uh for monsters. You do it like through uh either main story quest or like like the free free quest that like the guild gives you. Um, In general, yeah, I like yeah. games that give you like I always think of uh Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines where you only get EXP for completing quests. So that way yeah, you take it non-violent. Like the Masquerade. There you go. <laughs> well, no, I just I just I know I'm I know no, that's I, kind of crossing I, that genres. Actually came to mind where I was thinking too. I, I like that. But it's yeah. it's it's a smart it's a smart solution to be like if someone wants to play more non-combatively or stealthily or avoid or passively, they're they're not penalized for it. Yeah, and that's very much like kind of the made and messes MO where like and like combat is like don't engage in it unless you absolutely need to. It like kind of actively incur- uh, discourages it because of like, hey, there's only a certain lifespan on your tools, and like, and you're really only engaging in combat if you need like monster drops to like cook something or to craft a tool that you need, uh, and, uh, and that's just like all knowledge that you gain for yourself. Like, hey, once I beat up this monster, what can it drop? Oh, it drops a certain type of meat that I can use for cooking, and, and so forth. So you don't really, you're not really beating up like many monsters, like every monster that you come across, who because they 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 respawn uh, pretty regularly as well. So there's like no reason to like kind of engage in combat frequently in this game. So you kind of start getting, you start opening up all these like systems, and like in the skill tree, you don't have access to the entire skill tree. Like certain sections of it will be gated off until you like reach a certain whistle rank. So. You you go through the the story and you re- you revisit pretty much all the places that Rico and Reg did. So a lot of like the first few hours of it is a lot of like environments that you've already seen from the first layer and the second layer uh, of the abyss. So and then like it, it made an abyss fashion. This is a pretty dark story where like it's already kind of like a grim world where a lot of the cave raiders that you meet uh, early on are just like little kids. These are all little kids from an orphanage. And the orphanage uh, trains them the, uh, to become cave raiders to get relics and make them money. Um, it, it, it's quite literally like child labor, and since they're orphans, no one will care if they die. Yeah, and then, there, are, there are cave raiders that are adults as well that, uh, that you uh, meet in the But there are factions again. that are using these kids and literally exploiting them. So. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's, not, it's not a happy-go-lucky story. And uh, just like in, in, in Made Out of His Fashion, it's a very visually intense this has uh the 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 top like Cero Z rating in Japan because like there are certain sequences in it like especially like when you die to certain monsters you're just shown a very gruesome death like the the one example I gave in my review is there's a uh, a monster called the Corpse Weeper in the second layer where uh when it kills someone it'll feed on their like intestines. And as they're feeding uh, on their intestines, they're like mimicking the, their death cries as they're feeding on them. So like any person around that like hears it will think that someone is in danger and like and like uh, kind of like like asking help from anyone around, and like and they're lured in by that. And like and then when the, once they come into into there, not knowing it, it's like oh, there's the next place for the corpse sweeper uh, to, to feed on them and then mimic their death cries. And that's like shown in the game. If you die to that creature, you just see like your little OC kids innards kind of being fed upon as the monster is feeding on them. And there's also like certain like quick time events, even like in Hello Abyss mode, or like if you like you miss a QTE, like you're shown a pretty gruesome death. Like 
there's like an early QTE where um, Reg fires his incinerator, which is like a big, like big laser from his hand for the first time. And if you miss that QTE, like you see that laser kind of like uh, misfire on Rico getting swept up in it. And it's like, oh, oh shit. And he's like, and after that, you see Reg like traumatized that he missed. And it's like, yeah. So yeah, so just know that, know that going in that like this is a pretty visually uh, intense game as well when you when it comes to deaths. Um, so as you're as you're descending down the abyss uh, with your OC, like you know you kind of meet uh, more like the the characters that are from the source material. You meet Ozen, Maraluk, um, and then it all it once you let, enter the layers that the Hello Abyss um, mode doesn't doesn't cover. That's when you'll meet like people like Nanachi, and then like. Uh, you'll see that Rico and Reg have already, you know, descended into the abyss because the OC story mode picks up right after when they like descend into the third abyss in the Hello Hello Abyss, and then this all this game will go up to the fifth layer, and you'll meet uh, characters like Bondrude, like who's a very very popular character in that series, um, and it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty demanding game when it comes to survival because. Uh, there's a lot of the quests in the game are like very much fetch quests or um, meet the, try to find this character in the in the story, progress the story, help them out with what they need. Um, you know, helping to search for like missing cave raiders, and like the, a lot of the story stuff is kind of like whatever, who cares? But uh, I think the main allure for this game is for people who really like the survival, hardcore survival aspect of Made in Abyss, because while the game's character models are under like you know they're very visually not great you know they're they're like i mentioned in my review it's, it's something like you these character models are something you would see like in a ps3 like, cons- game. yeah like it'd be like in, from past generation consoles you would see these character models but like the environments themselves are like are pretty okay like for like because they evoke that beta abyss imagery they'd use that um like the the changing environments as you go deeper into the abyss well in the game and i think a lot of like the atmosphere that it exudes is like pretty well made for um for me and abyss fans but they have to be really in that specific mood of like being in the in that world being surrounded uh by like hostile creatures and feeling alone because that's most of the scenarios that you'll find yourself in in that game and so it's a lot of resource management and trying to plan out like okay i can only do this much in this run uh for the abyss and like because i start to think about my resources to make the the journey back up and the the wrinkle to this and the one the one thing that like really separates binary star from other survival games is what we were talking about earlier is the curse of the abyss um mechanic and this is represented in the game as well where Anytime you're in the abyss, no matter what layer you're in, if you even move up for like a few inches for a few seconds, you'll start getting this um, hazy purple aura around like surrounding the screen. And then it'll start like alerting you like for the distinct sound effect and like distinct visual effects that like, hey, the curse is creeping up on you. And you also have like a depth gauge meter as well at the, like, the, at the top center of your screen that'll like, like, uh continually go red 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 deep red deep red and like if you let that like keep on going without like taking a break and like just kind of easing the curse off um your character will start suffering effects of the abyss so early on um 
this will take in the form of like, hey, your character will like puke and um and you'll a lot of your hunger meter and your stamina will deplete. Um the hunger meter is very, very important and essential in this game because having uh the more hunger meter that you have, the faster that your stamina will will refill. Um and and make it so that you can like travel between zones because in this game, like each map that you uh like teleport into, like into each zone of the layer, like it'll take a certain amount of health or or hunger from you to go into them. And if you don't have the proper amount of like health and hunger, you can't even move into that place at all until you mm-hmm. get that much. Um, and if you completely drain the hunger meter, you'll no longer um like you will no longer replenish stamina and you can't even you won't even have like the strength to like swing your weapon so you're very 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 vulnerable when your hunger meter is totally depleted so suffering the effects of the abyss early on like it's like it's it's a setback and it's like it's one that like could be fatal if you if you let it creep up on you in the wrong place at the wrong time um when you're in like the deeper layers of the game it can have even more severe effects where um, just like in, just like in the source material, if you let the curse like really get to you in the deeper layers in the game, this manifests like you start hearing hallucinations of like characters talking to you in the abyss. You'll also start um, your it'll mess with like your character movement in the sense that up is uh, up is no longer up, down is no longer down. Like you, your character will move in random directions the, uh, depending on where you tilt the stick, so movement becomes way more unreliable. It's kind of um, Mimicking, like you know, that disorientation that you can get from the curse, and depending on the layer, um, you can also be brought to like the brink of death because you'll just start your character will just start bleeding everywhere, and like it'll drain pretty much all your health and hunger to like the absolute brink where like you're not dead, but if you don't heal within like the next like two seconds, then like you're gonna die. <laughs> What happens if you end up not managing to make it back, or you don't manage your curse, and you end up failing? Like, does it does the game checkpoint? Do you just like revive back at camp, like on an older save, or what? So, it does automatic this auto save every time you move into a zone. So you you'll just load up. So the the penalties for dying aren't that severe. You'll just uh, start the beginning of that zone again, which is kind of weird because, like. You you cannot manually save in the abyss unless you have like these things called mail balloons, which are effectively like ink, ink ribbons in the Resident Evil games. So, like you can do manual saves through consuming those, but like it, you don't really need to use much of them because the game will auto save for you and then at the beginning of the zone. So it kind of betrays a little like the survival aspect of that. So it's not too severe, but it, you will you can. You can technically soft lock yourself in the game if, like, if you don't have the ma- the, the proper resources on you, um, to like like just generally survive. So, like, let's say you die, and like you're, you you auto save back into the beginning of the zone. But in the beginning of the zone, you had no more hung you had no more hunger, uh, meter. You had no more food left to cook. You had nothing on you. Like you're in a state where you can't really like do anything, and because you mismanaged like you know your resources. Like at that point, you would have to like just choose the give up option, which will transport you back, teleport you back to the surface, but it won't save any of your progress that you made uh, in that um, run. 
So that's kind of like the way that kind you can kind of like. Well, at least you're there. not. At least you're not like stuck on your complete file. Like have, have yeah. absolutely no way out. Yeah. Um. There's also, and this is something I didn't know, um, many hours in. But there's like always a fast travel system in it. But it's kind of it works in a weird way where, like, normally how I thought, and it's like it, it's tedious, but it makes sense in the in the. In, in my mind in the in the context of the world where um as you progress through uh new layers uh as you're going through whistle levels like let's say i got my moon whistle and i can go to the third layer um when i'm diving into the abyss it'll let you fast travel straight to the third layer as long as like you got to the entrance of it at least once um so you can fast travel to the entrance of the third layer with the moon whistle and like it'll deplete like you know um hunger uh, hunger and health from you as you progress whistle ranks it'll the, it'll deplete less and less from you but you know it'll still take off a good chunk uh, from the get-go when you just unlocked it so uh i, I always thought that like okay uh i if i'm in the third layer i'll just do the things that i need and then travel back up manually on foot every time through the second layer and the first layer and then out of there and like it kind of it, it that doesn't sound fun and i get it because like you have to start like mapping out like efficient routes fast and efficient routes of like okay what's the quickest way to ascend the second layer back to the first layer and then what's the quickest way to like get out of the first layer back into the surface here like you're kind of going through your maps and doing okay the this zone links to this zone which leads into this zone which will get me out of this layer quickly so i just have to make sure that like i'm good on resources and and like and mats to like cook along the way if I need it to like you know for the return trip it's like it was, the return trip was was always like a kind of like a big deal of like making sure that I had enough resources for the to, for the return trip back. Um, how it actually um, works in the game once you understand the fast travel system is that you can fast travel up to uh, higher layers from the from from the most completed layer that you traverse so let's say i'm in the third layer i can go back up to the the nearest second uh layer zone and once i'm in that zone and the second layer i can fast travel back up to the first layer for uh, and it consumes uh, my health and hunger in doing so but it'll, it'll teleport me back to the beginning of the first layer, and then from there I can just get back up to the surface immediately because at, at the beginning. So that's how the it never really tells you this, <laughs> and like I had to like find that out. I was like, oh, like my, my friend like filled me. It's like this is how the fat travel actually works. Like this is what I read, but like I, can you test it out because I already completed the game. I'm like, okay, let me go try that out. And I'm like, oh shit, it, it works like that. And like I never knew. Like it never it never tells you outright. So it. It's kind of those one of those weird things where like yes this is this is more convenient and I get it like this is uh, like you know this is this is more convenient and like it's kind of good on the surface as a video game but as I stated in my review it kind of betrays the essence of like the made in abyss experience of like traveling how traveling up the abyss and how daunting and how tedious and how much of a struggle it is because now you just have like this fast travel option to like and it sounds like they try to account for that by making it uh consume your health and hunger meter a little bit but still it's uh kind of a gameplay convenience 
rather more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. So that yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing uh, that. But other than that, you know, I I think you know I pretty much said everything I needed to say in my review. For I don't think it's like it's a great game for like total newcomers. Uh, I think you have to be like a source. I I'm not a, a fan of the source material to really enjoy it, unless you're really 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 like the type that like tries out every single survival game. This does have some neat ideas with the how uh, the curse mechanics uh kind of surface because you have to really think about like um client like traversing vertically up in this game because it could be um it could be a struggle at times but um so that's kind of like the a fact an element that like you don't have to consider in other survival games Mm. and and i think it's just it's kind of a a lot of effort went into like making this game it's definitely made by people who like the the series i just I just wish it was a little bit more polished and a little bit more well thought out because I think a lot of the 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 game flow is a little bit it's it's kind of does it's one of those weird things where it's like it's hard translating made in abyss into a video game experience and they do a decent job at it but it's still kind of it it's still the progress like the progression of it is still not as engaging as I wanted it to be uh, I'd say I, I it's I think the most fascinating thing um about like the community of this game because they're like there's like a, a small but dedicated community in this game um when this game was first announced with screenshots the very first screenshots of this game has a very different ui and it had it had it was a very much more hardcore survival game where it had like separate gauges for like weather humidity even for things like 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 a piss meter, a poop meter, a fart meter, and uh, and like hydration and wind levels, um, and like you see some of those elements in those screenshots, and like people who have data mined this game have been trying to re-implement these systems back because it's like these are these are like triggers in the game code that like they're trying to like get back into the game. Like I think some of the modders at, at this, as of this point have like re-implemented like weather in the game, and now they're exploring whether they can try, like, it, implement some of these cut features. So as soon as it... you started mentioning those things, I started pulling up some of our oldest screenshots that we have on our, like, website's back end. And I do yeah. see, like, a symbol that looks like a toilet seat. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, oh, I guess she's not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, it's going to be fascinating to see, like, how far they get with that. Because I think this will be a really... Like, I, I really want to replay this game when all of those, like, with those features back intact and seeing how... It would if it like if it enhances or changes up the game experience like in a significant way because I think that'd be really really interesting to see. So, uh, you know, Godspeed to those people who are really digging in there. But yeah, I, I think you know, um, I, this is what this is definitely one of the more challenging reviews I'd say I'd had to write because I had to balance out like what what is cool from a Made in Abyss fan perspective and what is like cool from a video game perspective because some because a, a lot of those things that uh, in those. From those two things like do not mesh well together so trying to like give like a fair and balanced like perspective on each of those things was like one of those it's like you know at some point you got to give on like what what is fun in a video game right so it's it's a it's a it was a really neat game to like kind of mess around with and complete uh very it's an okay game i I think it actually sold like decently in japan as well interestingly enough so uh i'm curious to see like if they consider it a success or not um because it's made by uh, 
Chime Corporation, and they previously made like a ReZero game that like I don't think anyone liked, from what I remember. So I wonder if this is like uh, a success on their end, saying, "Oh wow, this is way this sold way better than expected." Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow uh, sales updates on this game because it did kind of come out at a decent time, but still in a way where it could easily fall under the radar. Uh, I don't know, like even though I think based on the source material, a survival game seems like absolutely like the proper way to tailor it rather than just making it like a turn-based RPG, though it sounds like some of the things they hit well with the theming and some of the things were just not, uh, were just maybe undercooked. So it'll be interesting to follow this and see like if it was able to reach outside of like people who have no attachment to this, to the IP, are they going to even take a second look at this or is it only for people who see this and be like, Oh yeah, I watch that show. I'm interested in this. So obviously we'll keep tabs on it and we'll see if they uh, report on whether or not it's done well enough for itself or not. And yes, go ahead and for both of these games, for Made in Abyss, Binary Star, Falling into Darkness, and for uh, Steel Rising, to these early September RPG releases, we've got the reviews up on the site. And thank you to both uh, Adam and Josh for getting the chance to cover kind of both of them at length before we get swarmed with the the, the autumn of Square Enix or whatever else is coming up on us uh, in late September and into October. Uh, we have a couple little gaps here to talk about a few other games that people have been poking at before we go into some features up on the site and the news of the week. Uh, this is another game that Adam, I guess, was playing in the gaps. And we'll just we'll just talk about it kind of briefly here because it's not really in the RPG space. Well, kind of. Uh, Adam, while after or before or during, I don't know when you squeeze this in. I don't know when you squeeze most of the games in playing Kodelka and Steel Rising. You've also managed to play through another classic game that you hadn't played before. And that is Parasite Eve. And I think a little bit of its sequel. Just kind of briefly, uh, just because it is a little bit outside of our normal wheelhouse, uh, and we don't always get the opportunity to talk about these more uh, classic games. Just what made you decide to play uh, Parasite Eve and just kind of like some of your quick thoughts on it? So uh, I think it was last week's podcast, right? Where I talked about Kudelka. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's, a very, it's a relatively short game, you know, 15 hours or so or less. Uh, I talked about, you know, it's kind of horror elements uh, and um, things like it's confined scope and character cast and things like that. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of games coming out soon that I'm interested in, like Diofield and Valkyrie and, and whatnot. But, you know, I had some time to spare. And I was still in the still kind of in that mood, I guess. And so, like, Parasite Eve was a game that I know a lot of people adore and love. I just didn't, had never played it. And I knew it was only, like, 10 hours long. It's not, it's not a long game. I'm like, I can, I can fit this in, right? Why not? So I did. And it's excellent. It's a great game. It's perfectly paced. Um, it's it's similar to Kodelka in ways that it's got like the horror element to it. Um, I had a little bit of a um, misconception about what the game was, though. I kind of felt that just from an, having not played it, that it was more like survival horror than RPG. But the first game is pretty strongly an RPG in terms of levels and stats and random battles and things like that. It does. It's not a traditional turn-based RPG for sure, and it's got you know a survival element kick to it, but it's more RPG than I expected. Uh, if you're not familiar, which you know I was only broadly, vaguely familiar with the game, um, the game is set in New York City, and you play a cop, literally, uh, named Aya Brea, who is basically a relatively new recruit at the NYPD, and you, the premise of the game is you go to a, an opera concert, and everyone catches on fire. Everyone dies except like, for Aya. Like self-immolates? Or? No, our boyfriend's alive. 
she kicks her boyfriend out before. before well, yeah, but she flees. <laughs> He's on. She's on a date with like a nameless boyfriend, and then like literally, they the people even say like, "Is this spontaneous combustion?" And it kind of is. Um, but like, she's the only one who doesn't. And then so people are like, you know, she becomes a suspect. Like, well, how are you survived and no one else is? And then basically, she's like, "Well, I'm gonna be since I'm the only one who apparently can get to the bottom of this. I will." And um, from there, you kind of learn about um, like the 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 premise of the game and the the villain is basically a parasitic organism named Eve. Uh, and f- it's a great game. It's got great uh, RPG elements to it. It's um, like I said, it's perfectly paced. I think the localization is surprisingly strong. And uh, for a PlayStation 1 game, uh, it's got a visual style that's similar to like Final Fantasy VIII in terms of uh, character models. Um, so it's got that kind of style to it. And, uh, you know, I think you should play it. Like, you can beat it in a weekend. It's, not, it's a pretty great game. Now, my misconception I had about it being more survival horror, that's actually the second game. That game kind of tones down the RPG and turns up like the Resident Evil. Uh, it's pretty much like a Resident Evil game with like an RPG kind of twist to it. So that's kind of like what I thought the first game was like. It's actually more like the second game, which I haven't beaten, but I'm going through. Um, I don't think it's as good as the first um, in terms of, you know, the style isn't, I'm not as fond of. It's, it's just, that's more maybe a preference thing, but it's definitely different in the type of game it is. Um, it's got the tank controls where you can only either rotate or move forward, uh, and you got to control that way. Chow was actually watching you play last night, and I'm running into every fence post <laughs> uh, possible. Uh, um, but, are they uh, developed by the same team? Yeah, it's, they're Square Enix. Um, they're Square, Square Soft. They're Square Soft, right? Um, I, I, actually were... didn't, I actually didn't realize that the first game soundtrack was largely Shimamura, and the second game is Mizuta. Um, mm-hmm. So no, that's fun. It's also fun actually seeing, like, reading the credits of the first game, some of, like, the people I recognize. Like, for example, Tetsuya Takahashi, he mm-hmm. worked on the game map. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then uh, Hideo Manaba, he worked on the UI. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, hey, I recognize these people. Um, Takahashi, I mean, obviously, basically them. the boss of uh, Monolith, and Hideo Manaba is a very popular artist. Um, I mean, I but, from humble beginnings, so... yeah. It's fun seeing those in these older games. Like, ah, oh, they worked on this in just like a very smaller fashion, like on the UI or on the map. Um, but yeah, the first Parasite Eve, I think, is, you know, it's kind of catapulted itself as one of my favorite PlayStation 1 games. Um, I think the it, best thing I do love about it is the, the gun customization. And it. it's like later on, it's like I got like basically assault rifles that are shooting shotgun shells. You know? Just like you could do all kinds of weird customization to it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty versatile in that way. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like I don't. I think the mechanics they're not too simple to just be like run and gun, but they're not too complex where you have to like, like min max or be super arduous about how you like, you know, build up your gun. You can if you want, I'm sure. But you know, it's pretty flexible and versatile, and just kind of letting you do what you want. And um, usually, it, it works out pretty well. Uh, the game, kind of like Kudelka, is is pretty much all fixed camera angles. Uh, so you're you're basically running through these maps that are basically either pre-rendered or or just you know just kind of like one from one angle of the map that you get to see um, from a fixed perspective. But yeah, it's really good. The the second game, it, oddly enough, 
I feel like the localization is kind of worse or weaker because like the dialogue style is a bit different. Um, this is just a small thing, but it, it feels like like the text boxes are bigger and there's just more quips um, between characters than anything else. But anyways, uh, it's still a pretty good game. It's just very different. Who, um, one of these days, I'll play Third Birthday and see what I was actually going to ask. <laughs> like, so all right, if you play one and two, you're going to play Third Birthday, right? I know some people third birthday say I know some people third birthday birthday will say like the story sucks but the gameplay is good and that's always like hmm. is that your opinion? Right, the gameplay is all right. All right. Um, the story sucks like, and the gameplay is all right. What, what is yeah, that's, that's why I always uh, <laughs> criticize was it uh, Toriyama because I think he's the head writer of it, even though the game is directed by Tabata. Uh, but yeah, I dislike third birthday just because they just shit on the characters in the previous games uh what is there's a game that on the gamecube that's very similar to the third birthday because the main gimmick in the third birthday is that you can hop into other soldiers bodies and take over and you could just keep swapping bodies until like you know using that as a gimmick mechanic to get through the game so I, i'm not trying to I'm trying to remember game mario game. odyssey are you <laughs> I was joking. You can like take over things with a hat, right? I was joking. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but uh, that's kind of like the same gimmick. You know, you're like using like uh, Aya's ability to like go into a host of another body. And that's also the premise of the game where you're kind of like time traveling, where you're sending your, your, your body or your mind to take over somebody's body in the past to change the timeline. You know? Yeah, but it's, uh, I'm going to try to beat Parasite Eve 2 shortly here. And then. Uh, we get into an even thicker deluge of games coming out soon here for the next several months. So um, not sure if I'll get a chance to play Third Birthday anytime soon, uh, if you're anticipating that. I think the hardest part about playing the Third Birthday is the controls. The PSP is not designed to hey, play this kind of game. Are they better than the tank controls I'm dealing with? They're better than know. tank controls, but without a right analog stick, it's very hard to aim. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have like a lock-on, a snap lock-on. Yeah, but if you want to get the most precise shots that you need, you need a right analog stick, man. Yeah, but you don't really need precise man, shots. Man, I, 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 my, my, like, like memory in my hands of like the the PSP nub are like we're like starting to fade, but now they're like creeping back. I'm like, oh no, the nub <laughs> or whatever. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> Remember when the original DS didn't have like a right stick, and you had to get like an add-on, like a what do they call it, like a. DSI Pro add-on stick or something. <laughs> I have I have one of those. You're thinking <laughs> of the you're thinking of the 3DS. I think the Oh, does the 3DS, DS had, have a It came stick? with the Resident Evil Velvation thingy. I think I bought it. It didn't come uh, with that. It, it was an additional thing, but it was like that was like yeah, the first compatible I, game. I, I had to, I had to the Circle Pad yeah. Pro. Wow, my, my brain is like finally remembered. It's like yeah, actually, I actually have that uh, attachment is somewhere like the 3DS big ass bolt on attached thing of like that has a light analog. Uh, yeah, to, yeah, it's actually, surprisingly comfortable. It was like for a Monster Hunter that I wanted to play. That's what I remember. Yep. Well, thank you, Adam, for spending two weeks in a row talking about some classic games that you've been able to uh, enjoy with us on the podcast and share your experience. We have one last little window here, just a quick little one about some other early September games that uh, Josh has been able to poke at a little bit. One of these is Jack Move, which is, if I remember right, a kind of an indie cyberpunk turn-based RPG that came out on PC a couple days ago and is slated to come out 
uh, in, on consoles later in the month. Uh, and maybe there's a couple other games. So I think, Josh, you just had a few other things, like Adam, that you were just kind of poking at uh, in between releases yeah. in early September. Yeah. I put about like an hour and a half to two hours of Jack move so far. I've been really enjoying my time with it. This is made by uh, developer So Romantic and published by Hype Train Digital. Uh, the main character's name is uh, Noah. She's uh, like a. Wait, it's not hacker. Jack. No, it's not Jack. Jack Jack oh. moves an actual like mechanic in the game. Like, gotcha. like Jack in. <laughs> okay. Um, like so Mega Man. It's a, it's, Mega Man battle. Yeah, like Mega Man. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, it's a turn based. Uh, it's uh, inspired by JRPGs. Um, it's like the the main story is that um, you know, after a, a short tutorial, like uh, gameplay section. No, um, Noah receives a phone call from her dad. Her she has like a pretty bad relationship with her dad because uh, ever since uh, her mom passed away, like her dad just kind of like became very distant with her. So she's kind of living out on her own now. Um, and her closest like family member is her uncle. So one day, uh, she kind of gets a call call from her dad saying, "Hey, they fucking found found me. Uh, I need help." Like basically, like the, the feds found him. He's like uh, involved in shady business. Um, she kind of dismisses it as like, oh, it's probably whatever. Who cares? And then uh, shortly after, her place gets raided by the feds. Like they're they're trying to look for. You're not exactly sure what they're looking for yet, um, but that like your dad was involved in like some pretty uh, shady research from the government's end. Uh, with uh, they need some data that only he possesses. So, you you basically are on a quest to, like go find like, hey, where did they take my dad? What do they want for him? Trying to. You know, discover the truth of like what was like my dad up to essentially. Um, uh, along the way, like this game is a like you get this is one of those um games like kind of like Bravely Default where you can adjust like it, it all the encounters is like random encounters, but you can just you can adjust the encounter rate on like how frequently you want to engage in battles, or you can turn it off entirely uh, in the game. But it does note like, hey, if you're just if you're turning it off, just you know understand that there will be mandatory. Uh, fights in the story that like we they won't scale it down or anything. It's like you have to be prepared for them. Um, fights, uh, you know, with, uh, play out like you have a, a turn order. So far, I don't have any other uh, any other party members. It's just uh, Noah herself. Um, and you kind of uh, have like a HP bar, an MP bar, and a, a Jack move bar, which is like kind of like your ultimate. Um, and so he. Each of your, besides your uh, main attack, uh, you, you can like set up like your skills uh, as like modules. So like they're, they frame it as like it's software that like you, you uh, install on yourself because you have like this, um, this device. I forgot what the device is called exactly, but you kind of have like this, this deck on you. And you, at, at first, like you have like these uh, sealed off RAM blocks and you have to either equip equipment that'll free up ram blocks or buy uh like or buy certain stuff to like free up uh, ram blocks permanently for that device so you can install skills on it because skills take up a certain amount of ram on there so um right now my skill set is stuff like a a healing a healing spell and um attacks or spells that'll like do certain elemental damage the elemental damage is like Instead of like fire, water, earth, ice, or whatever in a, in a, in a game, this this one is like cyberware, wetware, and I forgot the other element uh, off the top of my head, but it, it's 
but you know there'll be a whole system where like certain enemies like wetware enemies are um vulnerable or weak against uh cyberware attacks or stuff like that so like my, my like my basically skill set right now is like making sure i have like one of every spell so i can hit weaknesses if need be and i uh recently got like a spell that like you know enhances my defense against all the all those uh, elements as well uh, um, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm dumb and I don't know the terminology, but what is wetware? I don't know. W-E-T wear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, the, like the wetware uh, enemies like uh, like inflict. Oh, like, here. I got it. Wet, wetware is a term drawn from computer-related idea of hardware, a so- hardware or software, but applied to biological life forms. There you go. Yes. Right. The prefix wet is a reference to the water found in living creatures. Wetware is used to describe the elements equivalent to hardware and software found in a person, such as a central nervous system or human mind. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, this article that I'm reading says it has several issues that need help. So, uh, grain of salt. <laughs> Makes some sense, though, I guess. Uh, like a biological uh, analog to software. Yeah. As you're fighting the, in battles, uh, you'll gradually inc- increase like the jack-move gauge, and when it's full, you can uh, execute a jack-move attack and when you uh, initiate this attack, it'll do like a a very simple like rhythm game uh, that'll enhance its damage uh, when you get all the inputs right uh, in a in time window. So like the first jack move that you get when you uh, initiate it, you press down uh, three times in uh, perfectly, and it'll do like a big AOE cyberware attack to all the enemies. Um, it does have a uh, an option in the game if you if you're not if you don't want to engage in those or you're not good at those. It'll automatically uh, input those for you perfectly every time if you don't want to deal with it, which is all right, fine. And um, yeah, the right now it's just been it's been a lot of fun. It's a very low stakes sort of like uh, RPG. It's not like a very big expansive world. Um, like you know, there's uh, that you can undertake quests from NPCs. It's kind of like right now it's a lot of like, hey, I'll give you this item for like another item and then you needed this item for another quest and that quest might give you another item for another quest that you need um and it does have like a lot of bits of lore like this uh, game takes place in the year 2120 um and then that like the big significant event that people talk about in the in the past of it is in back in 1997 um there's a big like electromagnetic like incident that like powered like that um messed with all the electronics on in the world and like sh- shuttered them off and that time was called the dark, um, which is all right, sure. So and, and uh, it's been it's been nice. It's been nice just having just like a simple but you know effective uh, like turn based RPG like on the side. I, I might do a review. I might not. I just kind of bought, bought it on my own and just yeah, it, it's been great. And then the the developers have already stated on um, Steam that like yeah, th- thank you so much. This uh, the first day sales of this was like way you know it's been doing very well so far. So it's it's nice to see, it. and then like people um, generally enjoyed it uh, on the Steam reviews as well. Yeah, it's sitting yeah. a very positive right now. So yeah, so if you're if you're just looking for, uh, I I think like the the average play time of this game is like around ten hours. So if you're if you're the type that like, hey, you want to play an RPG but you don't want it to take that long, you don't want to want it to, want it to be like a fucking hundred plus hour RPG like Xenoblade. You know, this is like. On sale on Steam for not 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 that. Uh, As someone that, that took much. a month to beat Xenoblade, like literally four weeks, I was like, "Oh, that yeah. sounds mu- music to my ears." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, this this is I'm I'm excited to continue it uh, when I find time. But I've been having a mm-hmm. lot of fun so far with that. I've also been uh, trying out the open beta 
for Torchlight Infinite. Um, this is a new Torchlight game, but is not made by the from the uh, creators of Torchlight. It is uh, made from a, I think, a Chinese company called XD. But didn't Torchlight Three also have a different um, developer? Torchlight Three's I mean, developer was thrown around a few times. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact uh, history of the Torchlight Three. I just know it was bad. And all yeah, of it. from what I remember, Torchlight Three was originally going to be like a free-to-play like spinoff by yeah uh, some Chinese company. I forget the exact one. And then somewhere along the lines, they just decide, oh, it's Torchlight Three now, and they kind of use that original free-to-play uh, game as a base. So obviously, a lot of the issues are down to that. Yeah, a lot. A lot of people did not like. Uh, like, I had a a few uh, like a friend uh, go and like try out the closed alpha or closed beta. Torchlight three is like this is dog shit. Like it's uh, like he he is someone who didn't like Torchlight one and two, and like he's like, and he's like and the Torchlight three is like even worse than those somehow. <laughs> and like you know, some people like you know do like to have their fans of Torchlight one and two. They're like relatively simple action RPGs and released at a time when like action RPGs weren't like a kind of like on the. Not really on the upswing. Um, they were kind of like not not many of those were made at a time of when the original Torchlight and Torchlight Two were out. Um, Torchlight Titan Two Quest, Tor- Titan on Quest Steam, like the, the biggest one. Like at that so time. yeah, Torchlight Two on Steam has thirty thousand reviews, ninety three percent positive. Yeah, a Torchlight, lot of people like Torchlight, Torchlight Three on Steam has ten thousand reviews, forty seven percent positive. Yeah, it's. So I didn't know that Torchlight Three was able to like come out for real, but. Okay. Well, it's because um, yeah. it, it was it was like James said it wasn't Torchlight three until like it was like Torchlight Frontiers or something. Oh, like I remember yeah. that <laughs> very vaguely. Yeah. Then they decided like, oh no, we need to like boost this game out the gate. Uh, it's three now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, a lot of people like Torchlight one and two because they they like they're not really hardcore action RPGs. They were pretty accessible and like and uh, uh, like especially Torchlight two is like one of the big ones that people gravitated towards to like play with friends because Torchlight one didn't have any multiplayer that was more like mm-hmm. a dungeon crawling experience at the time um and, but they, they you know they're okay games like I, I didn't gravitate too too like much to them but like I, I played both of them and completed both of them so i was like okay and when my friend said stay away from torchlight 3 i'm like okay i will trust you on this so he t- he went into, my friend um tried out the close alpha of torchlight infinite and he's like this is surprisingly good gameplay wise like he's a big path of exile player and torchlight infinite basically uh it's like Path of Exile Light. They lift up, lifted up a lot of systems that were very much, you know, from Path of Exile, a lot along with certain things along the way. The weird thing is, Torchlight Infinite is primarily designed for mobile devices. This is the first, the, the, this new open beta is the first time they're trying out their PC client, so it's fairly bare bones on like the perspective, uh, not the not, uh, the features end of it, um, because it is taking like a mobile game uh, stance and perspective first on like the their development. Um, so a lot of like the UI is kind of like I don't know, and the way it's like it's monetized is weird because it's like there's also a closed beta where they're t- they're trying out and they're testing out the real money like uh, transaction circle, so people can spend money in that game. Uh, none of the progress gets carried over the full game, but it does support like 100 like full rebates on their like, their purchases in there. Um, so that's weird, and it, like a lot of the. The monetization is it in it is like a cosmetics like character skins, weapon skins, uh weapon auras, character auras, your footstep effects, your teleport effects. Um it also, you know, it also has a gotcha in it. You're not gotching for like weapons or characters or anything, but there is like 
these things called like pack spirits, which are basically pets. Um, that's like, like diet Digimon. I know. Um, so the like the rares and the comments will you know will have their uh, certain uh, stat boosting things and like give you like certain modifiers to like a a, a pack spirit skill tree that like you know it'll give you like better resistances uh you know uh, or crit a little slightly more attack um and so forth but then there's like a legendary pack spirits that you can like roll for that like also have skills as well and I don't I've never pulled one so I don't know exactly how how much they impact the gameplay experience but i guess it's probably significant enough that like it will make a difference um as far as i can tell um this is primarily a single player game though you do see other characters in like the town hubs in it kind of just like roaming about and i think from a gameplay standpoint it is probably like the most fun torchlight in the sense that like there's a lot of like customized customization on like the way you want to play it so like there's several character classes in the beginning there's like your standard uh you know warrior there's like uh i, I saw like a dwarf that was like i think like a, some sort of like mech mancer that can like have like mech minions with him um i forgot the other classes but i chose like this um this character that's like a kind of like the mage archetype in it and um like the their standard thing is like the the first thing they give you is like here here's a ice spell that like fires off like an ice icicle but then you will give you like a modifier to make it to multiple projectiles. And then this person can like do blink, can like weaken enemies to put them in a vulnerable state. Um, and like the and the, their class gimmick is they can like summon a doppelganger of themselves that will that also has like a, a, a field around them, uh, where if you stand in that field, you'll attack uh much faster in it. So you're putting out more damage while in that field, and this doppelganger will follow you around once um they uh are summoned they'll occasionally attack as well so um it, it's kind of like a, a robust system because there's a lot of like progression systems in this game where um certain like quest rewards aside from like your typical loot reward though like they'll give you like a a spell and like spells are kind of like used as like almost like their own currency where like you can pick one of these three spells and then like you can and then once you have that, you can equip it onto like your skill hotbar at any time, and then uh, along with these spells, you can also unlock spell modifiers to um, to like kind of shift their properties. So let's say I have like this electric ball that bounces around. Well, I can like I might get a modifier that like it'll cause corrosion damage, and then another modifier that like might create like a fire field and each each time they bounce. Um, and they are, and it's all all very detailed on like what their exact effects are and what they what they modify in it. Um, alongside kind of reminds that, me of uh, Diablo three spells or abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's it, I'd say it's more versatile than that, but yeah, it's the general idea on that. And then like it's even stuff like my blink ability. My blink ability, like okay, it'll like teleport you a certain distance, but you can modify it so like once you use this a blink ability. You can like gain these buffs uh, uh, once you use it for a short amount of time, and then you can kind of like stack on like more and more like sorts of like different modifiers on that blink ability. Uh, and this is like for each of like your spells, even like your restoration spell as well. Um, and then there's also a skill tree that like has like these three like skill progressions. Like one is very much like to enhance your damage. One is for like 
survivability. And then once you uh, invest enough skill points in that skill tree, you'll get like these major, like kind of like gameplay changing things that'll like modify um, certain aspects of the character. Like whether they're like, if you invest in this skill, like like you'll get like a bunch of like frost damage, like when enemy uh, enemies are around you. So like you kind of you kind of are are more buff when like there are enemies around you, which might be a like I might be a, a class defining build or a, a some sort of build that you're going for, and then on top of that, after you reach a certain level threshold, you can you have the option of investing into another entire skill tree, a new skill tree. So my secondary skill tree now invests instead of like damage, I'm investing to like mana regeneration and energy shield um, enhancements. So my survivability is better, and then that'll have the same thing. Like once you invest an amount of skill points at this skill tree, you can unlock certain things from this uh, skill tree. And all of these things, whether it's the skill tree or like uh, all these enhancements, like the the skills that you equip, you can freely like kind of shift around at your will. And then the skill tree, it's like infinite respec until level seventy five. So a lot of this game is about like trying to like experiment about what like what feels good to you but it's also it all can also feel overwhelming as well because there's so many like systems at play and like stat modifiers and element modifiers and, and like of course it's not even touching it to like loot and all that and what the and like what kind of loot will like benefit your build so it's very but it's very like it's very proactive and like in the way that like you play in the way you play it as an action rpg like right now like Everything is like kind of done in service to like buff up my damage and my survivability because all I'm doing in the game right now is I stopped like the stock like ice spell that has uh, projectiles that bounce between enemies that do a lot of damage, but it, it's firing off very very fast. Um, I have certain skills that seal away like my max mana for buffs. So like if I want uh, like this movement speed um, enhancement. I like I seal off a certain amount of my mana to gain that enhancement, which is a similar system that was introduced in Titan Quest, where you can like seal mana for buffs. You see these in other action RPGs as well, like Path of Exile. And but I don't have to worry about my max mana going down because my mana regeneration is so fast that I don't have to worry about, you know, who cares if I don't have my max amount of mana because I have all the mana resources that I need, like cast all my spells uh, along the way. So there's just it's just a lot of like uh, managing kind of like what you want to do, and it it does the game does provide you the tools to do that. I am sorta uh, a little worried about like okay, the right now I play obviously I'm playing it for free. It's it's gonna be a free to play game. Will it ever try to like would have content to like try to goad you to like spending money like in a pretty not feel good way? Not above just cosmetics. We have the gotcha for like the pets. Like, oh, you need this pet to like make this fight easier or so forth. Like, I wonder if it ever gets to that point. I have no idea. It is kind of weird. It is also weird that there are. It, it, this one feels especially scummy, where there are two different forms of auto loot in the game. So right now, I have to pick up all the loot that I want manually because if you want auto loot, you have to spend any amount and you'll get the auto loot function. But I think there's like a second auto loot. That will have your pet pick up like valuable like resource mats, not just like equipment, but actual resource mats that drop automatically. 
Um, and like I think that might be a battle pass reward and so forth. So this game has it like you know it has your standard like free to play elements of like hey you you unlocked an achievement for doing this cool thing, claim this reward and that that'll give you more like uh, currency for to spin the gacha, and then um, it also have like battle pass progression like oh you you leveled up so you claim this claim this so it has a lot of those meanings of like you did a cool thing claim this claim this claim this and all that as well. Is so, this like an open beta right now, or is yeah, it you just invite yeah, you just re- it's a it's a it's open beta. You can just request access on Steam. It'll invite you um, immediately uh, on there to try it out. Um, I think it's going up till the nineteenth of September, um, I believe. And yeah, I think it's a the the I I really could not care less about like the like what's going on in the story or the characters. Like I just like whatever things are happening. Okay. I think that the main hook of it is the gameplay and the gameplay progression and like all the the, the just many 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 ways to like customize your playstyle in it. Um, it's gonna be one of the. It's gonna be for for people who really like like customizing their action RPG experience. yeah and tinkering and like managing yeah. numbers and buff yep. up time and things like that. Yeah, so it's it's good for that. Everything else is kind of whatever. The voice acting in it, I don't know if it's placeholder or not right now, and it are just it's just kind of horrid. I hate all the voice <laughs> acting in it. <laughs> I hate all the quips my character makes. Um, yeah, and that's been it's been a decent time. I don't know if I'm gonna stick with it much longer. Honestly, like I've I've been I've been kind of you know playing through it here and there. I have like a level almost thirty character. I'm just like, yeah, I see the, I see the appeal. I really wonder if like the the final game product will be a more polished touched up experience to make it more coherent because right now just it just throws a lot at you with not with with the the explanations for them aren't that great uh, i'd say and a lot of the ui just feels unfinished like they'll have like stuff like like improper like capitalizations or stuff that's not capitalized at all that kind of like just just feels cheap and uh it makes it feel cheap in a certain sense too but i I really wanted to see if this will find like a community and you know how well it will do. I, I might give the final uh, thing a shot, maybe not. But right now, I've, right now, I feel like I've had my fun. I have a, a a decent grasp of like what this game is going for. Before I saw you playing this a little bit when you were streaming it uh, internally, I did not even know that Torchlight as an IP was alive. Like I, I kind of thought that Torchlight Three was like a death knell, and then like, oh, there's another Torchlight game. What? Uh, it kind of looked when you were streaming it like how I'd expect it to be, but I do kind of see like a glimpse of the depth that's there based on the equipment and the like the sub creatures that you have and the build styles and the, and the the spell customization. So maybe it might end up being like a bit of a surprise and a bit of a rebound compared after uh, the disappointment that was Torchlight Three. And with that, I think we basically capped out for the first time in several weeks our games talk section. We had sections for new games, sections for old games, section for games that are not quite released but are in an available playable demo mode. So I think that works out well for this week because this week, even though there's a bit of news, is news light compared to next week. So next week, we'll probably flip the script and talk less about games we've been playing and focus more on what comes out of TGS. As a review, go back to the website to check out the reviews for uh, Steel Rising and for Made in Abyss, uh, Binary Star Falling into Darkness. We do have one other feature on the site that I want to talk about at least uh, at least briefly. It kind of depends on how much uh, James wants to t- James wants to talk about it because it is uh, something that he was able to put up on the site, kind of as like a feature slash PSA for a later September release. This is um, the official English localization of the Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. 
Uh, as we know, when this game is uh, releasing later this month, it is releasing on PS4, Nintendo Switch, and PC, with those two later uh, consoles being specifically developed for the Western release. While this is not new news, uh, there is a little bit of a discrepancy that has kind of flown under the radar between the different release consoles for Trails from Zero. So I don't know if I'll hand it off to James to talk about uh, why he specifically wanted to kind of draw attention to this and what what his feature on the site kind of covers over in terms of the uh, official release. All right. So first off, can I just say that it's absolutely insane how much hate I got for just letting people know about this? Yeah, just just to be blunt, people like there's like conspiracy, like you 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 have it out against NIS America, to, like post this, and it's just like well, maybe maybe no. we should I, I yeah. buried the lead a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about what the what the crux of the feature is. Okay, yes. okay. So, long story short, uh, whether it was NIS America decided not to do anything with the PS4 version, or they weren't allowed to. The PC and Switch versions of uh, Zero, well, Trails from Zero, are being handled by Durante Studio PH3, and are getting a number of enhancements. Uh, when and the PS4 version is just simply a straight translation of uh, the Japanese release Zero no Kiseki Kai, which I remember when it came out had quite a few issues it had lower resolution textures than the official pc version or the let, okay before you before you continue let's like let's be careful about the way we word things here because like when you mention straight translation like we're not talking about the localization thing like the localization script yeah, the for localization. the game should be should be like the like, same local, yeah the localization well, script well, for the game yes and no yes and no because it seems like the chest messages from the GeoFront release might only be in PC and Switch. Okay, so like aside from that, the like the like the like the story dialogue, the quest, pretty much the localization scripts outside of maybe like the chest dialogue, uh, like will be pretty much the same between all the release platforms for Trails to Zero. What you're talking about is more of like the technical side of things, not the, not like when you're talking about translation, it's talking about the technical yeah, yeah. side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, long story short, I saw someone uh, retweet their original tweet from like last month talking about how the differences between the PS4 and the PC Switch versions. Uh, Durante himself did put out a Steam blog post like a few months ago, I think, uh, detailing the upgrades to his versions of the game. Uh Nisa themselves did not actually say anything until just the other day after the PSA went out. Um, Gamatsu reached out to them asking, okay, so why wasn't this communicated? And all they got was a confirmation that it is indeed the case. Um, I've had people say, hey, how'd you know about this? First off, you could check the trailers on the PlayStation YouTube and you could see that the textures are different from those same scenes from the Nintendo Switch like eShop page. But but even the, even that before good. before before you do, before you go analyzing like trailers, like even beyond that, like Durante even mentioned it himself, both in his blog post on Steam and on the Reddit AMA. Like he stated that pretty bluntly that like, yeah, our company is only responsible for the PC and Switch yeah. That's all we can like you know talk about because those are the versions we're yeah. responsible for. That's it. That's it. And and I'll just and I'll just be blunt here. There there was another reason or another way that I confirmed it that I can't really go into details. It, it wasn't through Nisa, but I, I, 
like I didn't just post that article not knowing for sure if it was true or not. I knew it was true because I had already gotten confirmation. People acting like, oh, I have it out to get them and I deliberately put this PSA out without confirming it first. No, no, I didn't. No, it, like, ob- know like obviously it's true because like Nisa's has now outright admitted that regardless of the reason why this is the case, the PS4 version won't come with those enhancements that the PC and Switch versions do, which includes potentially the chess messages, but definitely the message log and uh, the upscaled uh, HD textures. I, th- I think that like the, the most like the, the, the biggest thing that people should get away from this, like, you know, like going beyond whatever drama conspiracy theories that like haters will have, like to make up to, to make them feel good about themselves is like the, the bottom line is people deserve to know the product that they're getting. That's that that should be something that like we should all agree on that. Like people should be as informed as possible about the thing that they're that they're purchasing for a good chunk of their money. And yeah. so all you really did was just like, this is not new news, but it's something to remind people like, hey, the, the release of this game is coming out in a few weeks. Just, you know, be aware that like a, a version of this game is different from the other versions. And then you provide examples straight from Durante himself that like he used as comparison images for like, yeah. hey, this is, this, is, this is what like the source looks like. This is our uh, enhancements on it. You know, it's, it's not a matter of like what you think is better and what you think is real. Worse, that's not really the, the the main thing here. It's just like be informed about like what you're yeah. getting right. It doesn't matter about what you think is better, what you think is worse. You can go for whatever the fuck you want. If you want to get the PS4 version, go ahead. You know that's great. You have fun with it. That's not. We're not saying like, hey, you definitely should avoid. It's like just be informed. Like, hey, the PS4 version will have this stuff, and the PC and Switch version is handled by Durante, and they will have this stuff, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, but people feel attacked if you look like, at it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's kind of not. It's kind of stupid, uh, to, uh, honestly. So for, many for, for people any take for any so other many, take. Yeah, so many people assumed that uh, because I mentioned, well, they either should have made sure that there was parity between the versions, or like outright have stated that there was differences. That that they were thinking, oh, well, you're blaming Nisa because because ultimately Falcom was the ones that apparently didn't allow for the changes to the PS4 version, which first off, and I guess America has yet to say that like officially there, there's been potential and I America employees on like reset era. that are saying that, and that's probably true, but the company themselves haven't officially said that. And, and they cannot arguing say over. Yeah. And arguing over those semantics when the whole reason this is they're in this mess in the first place is because they didn't properly communicate this. Like people said, Oh, this information has been out there. Nisa's has communicated it. They didn't. Not until it's they responded it's, it's, to Gamatu because like Durante said it on his AMA, but that was Durante. And he said it on the Steam blog post, but that was Durante. He's not an NIS American employee. It's Honestly, kind of been out there in like a contrapositive fashion where it's like, yes, we know it's releasing on these three consoles. Yes, Durante said he's only working on these two. You can fill in the gaps, but it wasn't made explicitly clear. And of course, uh, I don't think NIS America maybe had or at least at the time didn't see a reason to they just said hey we're supporting these consoles and durante is helping us with these port with these new ports but then you kind of had to like fill in the gaps like wait what does that mean about the ps4 version well this is what it means that's all the psa really is so this is what it means like josh said it's just it's the same version that japan japanese players played so it's you know it's not like a 
it's it kind of almost becomes like a victim of Durante's proficiency in terms of like him having built a reputation for these things. And now that he's like stretching out and going into, it, I think this is their first switch project. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. just like I a think, victim of their own success. Did, uh, like, wow. Relative to this. Did they do Nayuta as well? Uh, no, Nayuta is being done by Falcon themselves. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was uh, mixing up because Nayuta got a, a PC release re- recently for the Japanese version. That they did, you know. Yeah. Why can't why can't Nisa just do the same thing with like Kuro? Just release the game in in Japanese and sell you the English patch later. Like, well, that's that's yes. an entirely different yeah. can of worms. Like, that's, uh, that's getting off the topic. To be honest, that's like it's like why can't they do this? It's like there's many many reasons why, but that's that's taking that's taking away from the main yeah perspective here. Uh, and personally, uh, and personally, with how much shit I got just for like letting people know about that discrepancy with zero i don't want to touch like the kuro stuff with a 10-foot pole at this point please please don't make me talk about it yeah, yeah i think the fan base is a little bit too i mean to be clear once product. again to, to be clear like, like i said it fucking sucks that like people got after james for this and that those people should be really ashamed for themselves for doing this but to be clear the the majority of people who responded to us on social media about this topic was saying, hey, we're thanks like, for the heads up. Yeah, the, I saw there were t- 90% or more of the comments were like, whoa, I had no idea. How do I switch? Or yeah. whatever. Um, and obviously some people were like, well, I didn't know this, but I don't really care, which is fine that's also. Fine. Yeah. But we're just, yeah, that, it's just, that, uh, it's just information. Yeah, that's fine that they don't care. You know, that's totally, if, if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to you. So, okay, life goes on. And that's cool for those you know people who didn't know. Like, hey, now they have a more informed decision uh, for it. Like, that, don't take this as like, oh, the entire Falcon fandom fucking sucks. So it's like, no, there's like in every fucking fan community, there's a good pe- there's good cool people in it that are helpful and, the and kind. And then there's also the people that are that fucking suck and like are too way invested in the, uh, the fandom and get very defensive about it. And unfortunately, those people are the loud and vocal ones. And because you hear them so much, that's what you th- that's you think those few bad apples are characterized the whole thing, and that fucking sucks for the people for the genuine good people in it. Yeah, that's what most things. I mean, most people just pay attention to the negative feedback. You don't really pay attention to all the good, right? I am looking forward to our first October podcast where we can just discuss Trails from Zero as what I think is a really good game. Just yeah, as, exactly. You know, Trails yeah. from Zero is great, and then this is going to all be kind of in the past. Just let this drama. Flare up, burn out, die down. Yeah, and, uh-huh. and like, uh, yeah, uh, this 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 uh, this feature should and always have been just like, hey, PSA for people who don't know, and then life moves on, you know. And those people are, you know, more informed. If anything, like, I I sort of wish that like the image that Yamatsu posted uh, as a response from Nisa, I wish Nisa like publicized uh, publicized that in a in, in more officially saying this is our statement, and then out into the out into the public from that their direct channels themselves. Or maybe they just want to be deceit about it so that, you know... Well, like, like, like I, I understand it from Nisa. The, yes, Nisa should have communicated, but I understand that if it is the case that it, it like they don't want to damage the relationship with Falcom, and this, this stuff should have been negotiated way before Trails from Zero was announced officially. The shit, the, the, the marketing plan for this should have been negotiated in a more thorough fashion, so people are more informed way, 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 way before this, right? 
And so I understand from now, right now, where Nisa is like, we can't really address it directly because if we say it as it is, it will imply to Falcom that they have the quote-unquote inferior version because they're the, they're the ones who worked on the PS4 port and while we're uh, and we're offering more quote-unquote superior versions of this game. It doesn't matter what you think is uh, better or worse. And that's what I'm putting in quotes because, you know, a good chunk of people don't care, and that's fine. But there are definitely versions of Trails from Zero coming that have been modified by, you know, a third party that for some people is better, but Nisa cannot communicate it like that because it will feel like they are throwing Falcom under the bus and undermining their efforts, you know? And the this all of this should have been negotiated and communicated way well in advance of yep. any of this before before Trails from Zero was even announced at that Nisa Falcom event stream thing. Yeah, it's like as soon as they knew that they weren't going to be able to have the same enhancements on PS4, that should have been the first thing they said. And it's like yeah. just nothing else to say. Like, yeah. well, actually. The people that are getting, well, it's not on our site, but I've seen comments everywhere where people are like, oh, well, those screenshots you had in those comparisons, that's not actually the PS4 version, even though it's literally the comparison shots that Durante made to showcase the differences between the PS4 version and the enhancements he's made for the PC release. People are just delusional at this point. And, and we'll yeah, it's, that's, that's kind, of, kind of like a nitpick of a nitpick where it's like, this is representative of the PS4 version, even though the game is developed on computers. You know, initial screenshots from several games are from a PC it's, build. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? the closest thing we have to a an official Nisa comparison between their two versions of the game. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this isn't actually the PS4 version. This is just representative of the PS4 version and everything that it looks like that I put together for your for, for comparison purposes. It's just like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I, I don't want yeah. to blabber the point and I kind of want to you know have a more optimistic look at Trails from Zero finally coming out in the West, even though I know yeah. that there is baggage on it. So, yeah. Hopefully that that is water under the bed. Is that the, that's not the right metaphor, but I'll stick with under it. The bed. <laughs> <laughs> under the bed. Well, uh, under the bed. I just have water under the bed here. Uh, We're back in the early nineties. We have water beds now. But yeah, looking forward to Trails from Zero. Uh, yes, the PS4 version will be the Kai version as it released in Japan. You know, only with the English script, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see how meaningful or quality of Durante's updates to the Switch and PC versions. I am excited to kind of see like what it looks like on Switch because Switch is kind of like this. That is like the one thing that the Nice releases have uh, been beneficial for the series is to get them back on Switch and kind of like preserve that Vita legacy that the game kind of has that the series kind of has. So I'm interested to see how this game does on Switch. I assume uh, Colin will be playing it on Switch, uh, though I don't know that for that on that for certain. I'll be playing it on PC. Um, Switch's strongest warrior. Uh, I guess since you brought up Colin again, just. Uh... Heads up, he did get paid by NIS America for his right. uh, work G-G-O on the front. Uh, Geofront project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, just, every just, time just we bring it up, we, yeah, every time we bring it up, just, yep, just, 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 just for transparency. All right. So with that, I'm going to put that uh, put a pin in that and we'll go into the new section of this podcast. I know we're a few hours in now. This new section is 
backloaded with a lot of release dates. So that shouldn't take too long. Uh, we had a few uh, updates that we'll go through at the start here. Um, some of them are kind of teasers and announcements, but there's not a lot of meat to chew on here, but we'll go through them. Uh, what we're going to start out with is another Kickstarter project for an upcoming uh, RPG series. And this is kind of on the heels of the uh, Penny Blood and Arm Fantasia Kickstarter. And this is for a game from uh, Shoji Maguro, who we have talked about, who is now a freelancer, longtime Atlas composer. Uh, late last year, I believe it was late last year, he announced his indie project, Guns on Darkness, which is like a third-person shooter JRPG cyberpunk hybrid. It's really hard to describe. You kind of have to watch the trailer and the footage because there is no easy comparison to say, oh, this looks like a spiritual successor to X or Y. It's really kind of its own thing. So if you go back to the original announcement from 2021, uh, late uh, early November, we got our first initial look at this game. We kind of knew that it was a long ways out, uh, something that we wouldn't see in a while. Well, recently we saw that this week, we're recording this podcast on the 10th, on the 12th, so by the time you're listening to this, around the same time, uh, Shoji Maguro is bringing Guns on Darkness to Kickstarter. Uh, they have an initial goal of $30,000. The Kickstarter will run for over a month. Um, basically, this is trying to get feedback from the fans, help, you know, realize his vision. I don't think when this game was originally announced that there was a lot of indication that it was going to have any crowdfunding of any sort, but ends up being that that is what it is. So go ahead and go ahead and look at the Kickstarter for Guns on Darkness. As a, It's kind of hard to speak to because as the time of this recording, the Kickstarter is not live. Uh, but by the time you listen yeah. to it, it likely will be. I think I think at the very, the very first announcement of Guns on Darkness, like I don't think it was intended to be a crowdfunded thing. Um, I think I think somewhere in development, uh, they were saying, "Hey, we just need a a bit more money to cross like the the finish line to like get the like aspects of this game to like a a certain level that we want." So it's very much like, "Hey, we just need help from uh, the community to get it where it needs to be." So uh, I'm interested to see like what exactly the specifics on this starter because it'll have stretch goals as well. Um, they're saying the uh, on the press release that like if it hits its initial goal. Uh, it'll be coming to PC, but then there'll be additional stretch goals to bring it to Nintendo, PlayStation, X Xbox platforms. And then, once again, like with any Kickstarter, the, uh, do not take the tentative release dates as the actual release dates on it. These will probably yeah. be like the delayed a few more times because game development is very hard, very tricky, and usually never on schedule because uh, unexpected things just pop up. But you know, they did mention that the upcoming Kickstarter will have a tentative release date of December 2023 for that game. And once again, do not take that as a firm, solid release date window. That's just what they are expecting at this point in time, not necessarily what the reality of it is. Um, and they showed they shared more, you know, gameplay and story details, and you know, a bunch of new screenshots and artwork that they'll have on the Kickstarter when it goes live. So you know, for people who want to wants to help uh, Meguro out, uh, you know, uh, look out for that in the coming days, or if not already up, uh, if you're listening to this podcast. Um, and once again, this uh, Guns on Darkness will also have um, uh, Russian illustrator Ilya uh, Kovshinov. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Mispronounced that. Uh, he did uh, work on the Wonderland and Ghost of the Shell SAC 2045, and of course. Uh, everyone's favorite uh, rapper in the Persona series, Lotus Juice, uh, will be helping Maguro out as well on this project. And they were announced when it was first uh, unveiled as uh, as well last November. So, you know, um, yeah, best of luck. Uh, you know, I, I, I good, like, 
I, I respect Maguro saying, hey, uh, I like just decided I want to go freelance and I because I want to make my own indie game, you know, and that's really cool that uh, he, he's able to embark on this and uh, best of luck. He, it seems to be he seems to be really giving it uh, his all uh, from like following mm-hmm. his Twitter and giving development updates of like him working on it day by day. Seems like this and is the month of Kickstarters. Uh, have anyone seen this Kickstarter called Tears of Magic from like a month ago? It looks like Breath of Fire. It's supposed to be like a Breath of Fire successor. I have heard about it. I didn't. Uh, well, the only I... problem with this is that all these other Kickstarters are like from the original developers, where this is like from fans. Yeah. Which can end up being good, but yeah, just in the same, you know, the crowded, yeah. crowded stage, limited, I guess, limited yeah. space to breathe. Yeah, I guess since we're on the Kickstarter uh, talk, uh, I'd like to go check where the Arm Fantasia and Penny Blood are now as of the, the te- uh, September 10th, uh, 109 p.m. Pacific. They are at uh, $1,343,307. Uh, so about twice the, the original goal. Yeah, almost. Yeah, just about twice the original goal. They've been uh, clearing, you know, some more uh, stretch goals for Arm Fantasia. They have like role changes. 20 puzzle boxes, more BGM, a bounty system. And they have new characters that fans can decide what they look like. I don't yeah. know. That's, I feel like that interferes with the creator's original vision. It's like, here, we'll let the fans do a poll of what you want this character to look like. I mean, you know, the, like they, they already said like the development team liked a lot of like all three of them, so they're letting fans decide. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I the, those Those projects are still far off from le- releasing. And you know, how yeah, all, yeah, all, yeah, all of these, anything Kickstarter, like for that uh, Guns and Darkness, December 2023, like huge pile of salt on that one. But I think these are just, it's just cool to know that it's not, especially for the Penny Blood and the Arm Fantasia. Yeah, they're not technically Wild Arms or Shadow Hearts, but just to know that those creators are working on something, they're, you know, they're cooking away. I think it's just a little bit of like, okay, that's, that's something to look forward to, even if the, the release window is very nebulous and far off. So, and then obviously but, going back to the topic here that we started with, knowing that Maguro is kind of, you know, spreading his wings and trying something that he has been passionate about. And yeah, the the initial goal for Guns and Darkness is not too high. So it's, it seems like it'll be something that should be able to clear its, uh, you know, goal pretty easily, I would hope. Yeah, uh, like I, I, think, I think, you know, I think a lot of people have like uh, some weird, like, I don't, I don't think that this is not a, a Kickstarter goal. To like fund the entire project, I just think they need a little bit more money to realize, like you know, to just polish this thing up and you know, and, and work on it with like with security gauge, funds gauge and interest and that. things like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's like one to like, I don't think that I don't think it's like an initial like funding goal of like trying to get a publisher on board. It's more so, hey, we actually need these funds, but we'll see how the how the Kickstarter words it as of this time. And yeah, uh, once again, like uh, very interested to see, you know. I, I want if any if anything, uh, you know, I want to hear the soundtrack for this game. Yeah, obviously, based on who's <laughs> uh, behind it. Uh, we got we're obviously very clearly into the the marketing ramp up cycle for the November release of the new Pokemon generation, Scarlet and Violet. Over the last couple of weeks, we've t- talked a little bit about some of the piecemeal marketing, like we had the uh, Grafii 
Pokemon re reveal a couple weeks ago. We had like the the pre-evolution of the cycle legendary a few weeks before that. We got another new trailer this week. This week is a little bit more general and broad scoping, basically talking about three different like story progressions in Scarlet and Violet. So obviously Scarlet and Violet has been purported to be more open-ended, uh, a little bit more open world, taking some cues from like Legends Arceus, obviously. So we got a new trailer for the game that pretty much covers the game in three key fashions and one of which is the typical gym challenge which it kind of goes over a few of the characters you'll meet there specifically the grass gym leader uh it talks about the new evil like henchman organization in this game which is team star and a little bit of how you interact with them and how the combat is done a little bit differently when you interact with team star it uses like a new like auto battle sort of function where your pokemon will behave outside of the like turn-based battle system I and still like auto it battles. let's go just having pokemon <laughs> play themselves and level up themselves and get experience for themselves i don't have to like manage them yeah, yeah, it's it, they they talk about the auto battle system in conjunction with like the team star interaction. So I don't know if those two things are explicitly linked together completely, or if there's just a good that's just a good avenue to showcase both. But yeah, there's a little bit of footage where it shows that the trainer kind of directing their Pokemon in like a direction, and they just kind of engage based on their stats and clear the battles without going into the actual battle UI. Uh, and then the last thing it talks here outside of the gym, uh, like the gym challenge and the team star, is helping a, I believe he's a professor, Arvin, he's either a professor or just another character, try to f uh, fight Titan Pokemon and come up with like ingredients and herbs. And there's this giant crab whose name I'm forgetting right now. I'm trying to poke through the trailer and find it. That is uh, described as being like way too large compared to what he normally is. A uh, cloth, K-L-A-W-F, cloth. Um, the stony cliff titan and he's grown to a giant size and this is part of interacting with this new uh, story beat where you're gathering ingredients for this character Arvin so I kind of like this trailer and uh, it also showcases several other characters like other gym leaders or characters they only encounter on the gym challenge is because it kind of gives a little bit more concrete direction into like well if this game is open ended what do you do in it because um, uh, obviously RKS had like a, a, a story that took you from region to region it looks like that based on this trailer there seems to be basically three kind of ways that you can progress in Scarlet and Violet, either through the standard gym challenge, through the Team Star interactions, or through these, like, uh, is there a wording for this Arvin ingredient gathering mechanic? I don't know if they actually title that in any specific way, but it kind of is a nice little showcase about, like, what do you do in this new paradigm of Pokemon game? And it kind of gives a little bit of details on that and what to look forward to. And on top of that, it gives us a weird new look at like the gem version of Sudowoodo, which is kind of silly and fun. Uh, looks like it actually uses grass moves under the new uh, uh, gemification. I forget what the actual uh, mechanic is called there. Just kind of a nice little overview of Scarlet and Violet. Oh, yeah, I guess I can't discuss what they showed this week without discussing like these new like Mega Man Pokemon that have yeah, had like fan art work. up and <laughs> up and down. Uh, I forget what these Pokemon are actually called. Uh, actually... and Cerulege. Yeah, so people say that people have obviously been having fun with mashups, saying that they look like they're straight out of a Mega Man game, uh, like bipedal mech mech inspired creatures. One that's kind of like fire based, and one that's kind of more energy based. Uh, I've seen some people also compare them to Ethel and Kamarabi from uh, Xenoblade Three. <laughs> so nice. they're they're very they're very distinct looking Digimon that are kind of fun. It's distinct looking Digimon, huh? 
or Digimon looking. They look they look like Digimon. That's, that's twice <laughs> okay. that I I guess I I just I just say like the people from Torchlight Infinite Infinite look like Digimon. These look like Digimon. I don't know what looks like a Digimon. I guess I go to that well too. Everything often. looks like a Digimon. If it doesn't look like a Pokemon, then it looks like a Digimon. Okay, you're right. That is one hundred percent of what things can look like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone else has any other feedback about uh, some of the character bios that we got and some of the artwork. Uh, I do like Croft. He's a silly looking crab. It's a yeah, I'm really interested to see about what people think about this game. I I don't know yet. Uh, I feel like I have to like the only way I'm going to play this game, I feel like is like if friends are like we're all getting it and we're all going to play online together. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I feel like that's that that's that's the in for me. Other than that, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I not really the Pokemon. I try. I tried Legends Arceus, and I was like, I'm, I'm not even into this either. Hmm. Changing tax entirely. We also got an announcement for something that we've kind of been expecting for a while, but didn't really know it when to show up. At least I don't think we would know it when it would show up. Uh, and that is the first named like DLC slash expansion pack for Cyberpunk 2077. Obviously, we've talked about Cyberpunk a few times on the recent podcast, namely due to the Edge Runners anime that is premiering in the upcoming week. Uh, as part of that, uh, Cyberpunk, as it has been since its release in 2020, does have a new major update coinciding with the anime release, uh, version 1.6. This update looks like it's mostly uh, cosmetic-based. It includes a new like mini-game that involves the Witcher horse character Roach. Uh, but then we did get a teaser for next year's big content drop, and that is Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty. Now, as far as I can tell, we don't have a lot of details of what Phantom Liberty really is, except for a one-minute teaser, basically showcasing the character V taking some sort of oath to serve the United States, which is kind of like vague, and I there's really not a lot there to like extrapolate what that might even mean or what Phantom Liberty will back. That's yeah. uh, that, that's the big takeaway for this trailer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know we've we've mentioned on this podcast a few times that Adam and Josh and maybe a few others have just kind of had this kind of in their backlog. Like at some point, I'll get to it. Maybe uh, Phantom Liberty, by the way, will be releasing next year for current gen console Stadia and PC. That's really all we know. Uh, the one point six updates available now. Uh, they did also include like a, a trailer for the 1.6 update, but it doesn't really talk really about like what this update includes. It's just more flavorful, kind the of like meshing is, the, yeah. the anime and the game footage together. Go ahead. Yeah, the big one for people in this update is a transmog system, so they don't look like. Oh yeah, that's a good you know, point. Yeah, they, they can actually like be fashionable and like have uh, good stats. Instead of like looking like monstrosities and dressing like monstrosities. Yeah, yeah. Cyberpunk 2077 somehow launched in a state where uh like the pro ZD skit where it's like this is my ass kicking outfit, bitch, <laughs> where you just wear whatever stuff gives you the best stats. And since it's first person, you don't see yourself most of the time anyway. Whatever you might get yourself a glimpse in a uh, in a mirror or something and be like, oh god, that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> so yeah, now there'll be a transmog system. I guess it, it does very kind of coyly state that there will also be new additional weapons, quests, and secrets to uncover. Who knows what those are? I actually do have like a guide up on the site that has like the vehicles and all the weapons that you can stash in your like apartment. I'm like, oh, I'm probably gonna have to boot this game up at some point and make sure that those are all still up to date. Uh, maybe I'll do that when the um, the Phantom Liberty expansion uh, releases next year. So uh, all I got out of this is I guess I'm just gonna be uh, procrastinating more and more on Cyberpunk. I guess until the expansion. 
maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't blame you. Like, I'm like, I kind of want to see what this game because I haven't played it since like mid 2021. So it's had a year of patches. I think I played it like 1.2 and now it's 1.6. But it's kind of like, well, if they're just going to keep tweaking and improving it, might as well just sit on it and wait. And then, yeah, in your in your and Adam's cases and whoever else is still waiting on it, might as well wait for the uh, Phantom Liberty stuff to come in too. Obviously, Adam and I will just watch the anime and then call ourselves cyberpunk fans. Yeah, I, I totally want to have a section next week on the podcast about anime impressions. Does that kind of cover us for major news? I guess we do have a couple uh, localization announcements that came out of that Nice Presents or NIS Presents uh, that yeah, we but, talked about. Yeah, we talked technically talked about those last week. Basically, because everything was leaked. Yeah, everything was leaked, did in fact get announced. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, so I was wondering if it would get a date for like Trails to Azure. But no, we instead got a date for Raiden 4. Are, are you excited for Raiden 4 Mikado remix? I'll just listen to the soundtrack. There you go. Wow. <laughs> I, love how uh, I, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to a lot of those. I want to, I want to replay Grim Grimoire. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I wonder I, just one thing with that game, though. Did, a, did you play the original PS2 version? I played the original PS2, yeah. There's one thing that really bugs me. If you played the original PS2 version, if you set to Japanese voice, they didn't correct the lip sync. They they modified it to the English version. Oh, you yeah. see the character's flat mouth flaps. I, I, Are, I don't think I played. I don't think I played in Japanese voice. When I played it way back when. Aren't they? So, aren't they just 2D? Yeah, but their, their mouths will flap with the voices, and they actually syncs up pretty well in English. But in Japanese, it's a complete off sync, and they'll be like. Uh, it throws me off because it's not matching their voices. I just wonder yeah. if they would like fix it for like the remaster or like just keep it as it is. I assume they're gonna fix it. I'd have to imagine, but you never know. We'll see. Um, yeah, and uh, let's see. Yeah, I think I think uh, everything outside about Void Terrarium because I don't really know much about Void Terrarium. Like, as like something's like maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. So the so the main two headlines that are kind of in our wheelhouse in games or series that we've talked about in the past is that uh the a tactical rpg that we've talked about as it released in japan in like january of this year and that was uh shikabana garai no bokun meshi will be releasing next year in the west for playstation and nintendo consoles as monster menu the scavengers cookbook we got a trailer for this uh western localization announcement kind of showing some gameplay and some of the characters customization options uh so a tactical rpg that has a food like buff based focus to it and a very cute art style that's kind of disgaea-esque so i know this is something that i think james said that he had some interest in when it was announced for uh for his japanese release i actually like imported i just haven't gone around to playing it Mm-hmm. So it'll release at some point. Spring 2023 is what we have currently listed right now. And here's so, I'm for something that I know pretty interested in the Void Terrarium too. The first right, game was, was pretty much thing. like a mystery dungeon game. Yeah, and, and then yeah, that was the next thing I was going to go to is that we obviously because it released in Japan in June, we were aware of Void Terrarium too. Adam has covered and talked about on the podcast his impressions of the original Void Terrarium, a dungeon crawling RPG where you take like the role of like a robotic protector of a girl in a terrarium. Who it's like a Tamagotchi. Yeah, kind of. Uh, only no, it literally is. Like in the game, you literally get a, like a Tamagotchi screen of Tariko as you're out and about and <laughs> help you monitor her. Yeah, so uh, 
Void Terrarium 2 will be uh, released also in spring 2023. And we got another announcement trailer for that. It doesn't show a lot of gameplay. It shows basically just kind of like the same theme of the game will carry over from the first to the second. So see, it will probably be a, a pretty straightforward sequel. Uh, so I think Adam's interested. In, well, Adam basically said that he's interested in this game in some extent. So these will be two, two little, you know, quirky interesting titles to look forward to from next year that we kind of knew were coming uh at some point because nice america pretty much brings over everything that nipponichi brings over in japan but now we've got a release window for them and some trailers to accompany those announcements so still kind of starting to populate the expectations for releases for early 2023 so we'll add these two uh these two nis titles to the list and then uh, I think two weeks ago, we talked about a blog post on Square Enix's Dragon Quest Treasures, specifically talking about how the treasure gathering mechanic worked. Didn't have a trailer accompanying it, just screenshots and text details. Well, we got another one of those blog posts this week that is specifically talking about monsters. So it talks about recruiting monsters. It talks about monster rarities, how they range from like bronze, silver, gold, and I believe rainbow as the highest, how different monsters have different kind of like field skills almost like launching, flying, digging, things like that. Uh, there's a couple new like variants of classic Dragon Quest monsters uh, that will be debuting in Dragon Quest Treasures, like the Marble Slime, which is like yeah! a slime, that, which is kind of like a slime creature that has kind of like the stratified like layers of like sedimentary rock. It says a desert dwelling slime. All the sand that it swallows builds up inside its body to form a beautiful stratified pattern. And new we also slime, got, like, new slime, new slime. <laughs> oh yeah. We got a new version of like the saber, the classic Dragon Quest saber cat, uh, and uh, fiery dragling, the hollow vulture. Um, oh yeah, those those field skills that I that I mentioned earlier in game are called fortes. Uh, the, the ones that it talks about, like I kind of mentioned, were glide, launch, sprint, stealth, and scan. The it talks a little bit about how the recruiting mechanic works, how you might mark a creature, and then we'll have to give it like an array of items in order for it to be recruited. It does talk specifically that there are some like story-based creatures that will kind of recruit automatically outside of the system. The one example that it gives is Uzabella, which is like a slime that is pink with a ribbon. So there's a couple slimes that seems like that you'll kind of get outside of the standard mechanic. And then it's, it does talk about how based on the species of creature, some of them have like inherent attributes, but then they're also unique in their own way based on the specific creature that you're recruiting and you can preview these before you decide to give them or not give them the items so just kind of a very uh, for those that really like to dive into how gameplay mechanics work ahead of release just talking very specifically about as a game that was originally envisioned as a dragon quest monsters game but kind of spun off into its own thing not surprising that it has a monster recruiting uh, system so heavily embedded into it so we've got the blog post kind of copied up on our site talking about how the specific mechanics work for uh, the monster recruiting in Dragon Quest Treasures. So that's all up on the site. Uh, before we get into release dates and delays, we have a couple uh, smaller little things here. I'll start out with this one because we kind of knew this was coming. Uh, we did get the final pair of character trailers for October's Star Ocean The Divine Force. This includes the dapper Midas Felgreed, who is like an older gentleman who is also very buff and also wears like a very fashionable pink top hat. And then oh, we yeah. got the and then we got the character uh, Nina DeForges, who kind of very specifically is a healer character who wants to learn how to cure a very specific disease. Uh, it's mentioned in her character trailer, but I forget exactly what it is. But yeah, she's I, I joining. Her something. <laughs> yeah, I, forgot, yeah. I forgot the name of the, the disease she mentioned in her character trailer. Oh, the disease. Cure Helgars. Yeah. So Helgar's disease. Yeah, so we, these are the last two characters that we knew that we we're going to get trailer uh, 
introduction trailers for just like all the rest it's like 50 seconds of just like game dialogue spliced over game footage in a kind of a haphazard manner so nothing too inherently exciting but hey we've got the full set yet uh now and when you include the seventh party member Malkia that was revealed recently um outside of these I, so maybe we'll get an introduction trailer for her too but i, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't because she was kind of introduced uh within the gameplay trailer for her race which are the virians so now we've got all the characters introduced so now Maybe the next time we see this game, it'll be some of the stuff that Adam wants to dig into. Like, um, yeah, like, well, yeah, the last, the last like long trailer showed a lot of the combaty stuff, and they're going to show more. And that's what we mentioned they're going to show Welch and probably customization and crafting yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, that's they what I was getting at. They might show crafting and stuff. Yeah, they they said they're they're, they're done with the combat. They're de- they they already said they are definitely going to go to crafting, and they uh, teased Welch uh, at the very end of the last one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how crafting, what sort of fucked up crafting they'll have in this one. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, here's a game that we have not covered this year. It is a uh, action, a first-person RPG, almost, it's like almost RPG immersive sim hybrid that, from a Russian studio, Mundfish. This is Atomic Heart. We've covered this back when it was announced Uh I don't actually. I don't remember when those was originally announced, but our the first major coverage we have from was from the digital E3 2021. So the first time covering Atomic Heart this year is that it now has a new publisher that is Focus Entertainment, and alongside this, we did get a new combat trailer for Atomic Heart from Gamescom. So a little bit like this kind of leaked in kind of late from the August Gamecom window, I suppose. So I do know that. Atomic Heart, since we haven't covered it frequently, I'd kind of forgotten about this. And it's still only slated as for like a general winter 2023 release. But however, Adam pointed out to me, like, this game does have seeming to have quite a following for it. This new combat trailer that came out for Gamescom 2022 has like 5 million views. It was just kind of surprising, Jesus. like, oh, like, wow. I guess this this game has a following that might, its fear might not intersect with ours so completely, so it can kind of fall under the radar. But yeah, this combat trailer shows like four minutes of some pretty like gruesome, almost cyberpunk-ish slash um, prey, maybe like 2016's prey type uh, environment to it. And yeah, it's a game that might be out within a year. So just it's kind of cool that uh, Adam had the chance to. I believe Adam covered this one for yeah. the new publisher announcement for Focus Entertainment. So yeah, we've got that up on the site. Uh, obviously, want to give it its due here. It looks like it could be pretty fun, and I enjoyed Prey. And Cyberpunk had some redeeming qualities. So if it's anything like those, uh, it might be something to kind of keep a keep a, keep an eye out for twenty twenty three. And then here's a little bit of a footnote here. We did get our first. We know we expect that Xenoblade Chronicles Three will have, due to its expansion pass uh, and the support that Xenoblade Chronicles Two had, so plenty of post-launch updates and support behind it. Well, we did get our one of our first major free patches for Xenoblade Chronicles Three, uh, finally fixing the broken food effects and missing like Google items that prevented people from completing certain <laughs> of the collectopedia cards. So this, this, this update is not really a, a content update. It's more mostly bug fix, bug fixes, but specifically targeting tailored for Adam. That's yeah, pretty much. So uh, now the cooking yeah, before release before release. So like very, very minor, but in the game, the Google enemies can drop like specific fruits and you only use them for like collectopedia card stuff, so you can totally ignore it easily. But I was just for like completion purposes, like let me try to find all these. And I can't find these two. Where the hell are they? And I thought <laughs> they didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, so apparently some of these items like didn't exist 
plus there were some food items. I don't know specifically which ones, if it was only canteen ones or only Manana ones, but some of them were literally placebos. Uh, when people compared like their CP or EXP gain before and after eating the item, uh, I, it seems like they're all fixed now. Uh, it's the way it's worded in the patch notes says fixed a problem in which various effects were not occurring correctly for dishes other than baked spongy spud or sunny style fish pie. So maybe out of all the food items, only two were working correctly and the rest weren't. But so this is this was something that I know I'd bug some completionists like Adam. So here they are. They're fixed. Uh, hopefully this means we can kind of get the uh, I guess there was a few other quests that had like potential for being in. I just kind of like how how this is worded. Fix an issue with the battle with the mysterious raider and the severed connection quest sometimes did not end. <laughs> I just imagine like getting into an endless battle. We're like, oh, is this supposed to be like this? Am I supposed to die? But there, there, there was an interesting like uh, um, sequence break uh, where like one of the enemies uh unique enemies like graves that that you can only access in chapter six like this re- upper region in uh, atia i believe mm-hmm. like if you can beat them early uh if you can and then their graves would show up in a in a region that you couldn't normally access until chapter six so yeah people were kind of skips on that i don't know i don't know if it like uh, how bad how badly it affected like progression but like that that was definitely just something that like uh, people mentioned mm-hmm. in that uh dispatch mm-hmm. to like huh no idea. And now we're going to get into new release dates and some release date delays. Uh, here's a game that we've covered previously, I believe, on the podcast. Another indie game for the uh, later part of the year, Mana Finder. Uh, Mana Finder, we knew it was going to release this year at some point. We got an official release date for it. It will release on October 5th. It is a pixel art RPG that looks kind of like it has like a Pokemon style kind of aesthetic to it uh, from the overworld, or almost like Zelda-like actually. Um, but just another indie game to keep an eye out for early October. We got a release date for Astergios Curse of the Stars. This is kind of a, a I don't know if this is if this is an indie game, but I don't recognize the developer Acme Game Studio. Uh, it's an action RPG with a Greco-Roman setting. We've gotten a lot of media over the year from it. We had a gameplay trailer back in April. We got some boss fight footage from June. Uh, we also got um, an announcement trailer late, late last year. But Astergios Curse of the Stars will launch also in October on the 11th for pretty much all... Uh, I, I shouldn't say all consoles. No Switch. Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. Here's one that's a little bit more topical. Uh, we got a release date for the second kind of DLC pack for Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. We've talked not that long ago about the release of Trials of the Dragon King and kind of our feedback for how it was implemented into the main game that released back in July. Well, for the second set, we've got Wanderer of the Rift is coming to Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin on October 26th. Alongside the announcement of the release date, we got a um, a little bit longer than a minute long trailer for it, clearly showing who I suspect is supposed to be Gilgamesh, and it kind of teases his theme, the Battle of the Big Bridge. Uh, doesn't really talk about anything other than the theming of this being a labyrinth of dimensions, a dungeon that randomly configures to your path to unlock pieces of the story. So it kind of seems like a more procedurally generated thing that might lead to some new boss fights at the end. So I'm guessing that those... Go ahead, this, this Josh. This is pretty interesting because, like, they because they also specifically mentioned that they will add Blue Mage as a new job because, and then like this will be more of like a, a Beast Tamer Summoner role almost because like having a proper Blue Mage class would be weird because you know, because they'll, they'll absorb 
mechanic yeah or uh, the game where you could like absorb like enemy spells and like fire it back at them or other enemies which is like kind of like the a standard trait for blue mages so this game will have like kind of like a twist on like the blue mage um trait and mo i suppose which is interesting so yeah now it's also, almost like beast tamer yeah and they also mentioned that there'll be you know new equipment that'll have new abilities and then a new class of enemies called chaotic monsters which kind of reminds you of Sunbreak's whatever monsters. I don't know if it's going to be that. It's probably not going to be that, but just that's the first thing that popped into my mind. One game that was originally going to release in October was Monochrome Mobius Rights and Wrongs Forgotten uh, from the um, Aqua Plus and Shuravune, the Yuchiwaro Mono uh, spinoff slash sequel. Uh, pretty simple update here that they just simply tweeted out without a trailer or any other fanfare due to a case of coronavirus on the dev team they were pushing back monochrome mobius for about uh, about a month so it was going to release on october 20th now it will release on november 17th i don't know if this kind of clears up or is is this better or worse for james's schedule considering when kuro 2 better. releases better so better. <laughs> james is looking like yes <laughs> so now um, just, but uh, yeah my condolences to the dev team i mean yeah, it, it, it's it's a fairly straightforward delay i don't think anyone could be angry about that yeah if yeah if they it's are, just, they, it's just they, frank yeah. and just like oh it, yeah we're we want to we're going to care for our health we're not going to push ourselves to really to really to stick to an arbitrary release date so yeah. we're going to push back and take our time and get yeah, our yeah, you know dev yeah. team to get better exactly health above anything else uh, here's a delay that was already announced, but we didn't have a date. We talked about how Marvel's Midnight Suns was delayed to a very awkwardly phrased end or end of the fiscal year, uh, and we didn't know like what what does that mean? Uh, and we got a re- we got a new release date for Marvel's Midnight Suns, uh, December second, and alongside we got a trailer for that, which is pretty much just like a, a minute long general overview trailer, kind of talking about all the things that we kind of already knew about the game, about how you're creating your own character to interact with existing Marvel heroes, a little bit of combat footage, a little bit of the, um, uh, like the hub gameplay, which is more dialogue heavy and things like that, a smattering of several heroes that will show up in the game, uh, pre-order to receive the Dr. Strange defender skin. I don't know. I'd say it's a better release date though. It, it's, it's less crowded around that time frame. Like the only yeah. other thing I can think of is like Dragon Quest treasures around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. December will kind of probably fill in kind of enlighten the game here, but December 2nd, Good release window. Uh, so it looks like they're not going to delay it to the absolute last possible moment. Uh, so hopefully this is just what they needed to get. Uh, I, know, I, uh, to, to be clear, final. though, the, the, this new release date is only for the PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC versions of the game. They still have not dated the Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox One releases. Which, if I remember right, is how they worded the original delay anyway. Yes. They said that the modern, the, uh, modern, the current-gen consoles would be this fiscal year, which we now know means december 2nd last gen and switch will be later uh, in 2023 i don't that believe kinda... that switch version is actually coming out i would not be surprised <laughs> we'll see i don't know that a lot of people would be disappointed if that switch version didn't come out i think i think it's like one of those games that like i think people would like to play on the go and that kind of covers us for new release dates and release date delays obviously we're looking ahead next week towards Tokyo Game Show, as we've mentioned uh, several times. We've kind of gone over some of the publisher plans for the week, like Abandon Namco, and obviously uh, Square Enix has pretty much a whole itinerary to themselves. Uh, we do know that on the 14th, 
that RGG Studios will have a Summit stream for their newest title. I don't think they specifically said that this is a sequel to Like a Dragon, but I think that's what everyone's expecting. Yeah, um, with the little clips that they, that they like kind of leaked out from that, um, was it the Mar- the martial artist, the wrestler? I forgot the. It was on that YouTube channel for that um for, for the, the, that, that, that influencer that got to like they're, they're use he's gonna be uh, his likeness will be used in the game and he got to uh, tour the studio and as he toured and uploaded to his YouTube channel we got our first real footage at like a dragon two yeah. or whatever they're gonna end up calling it Yakuza uh, eight uh, in Japan likely so this will this is kind of uh, an exciting and interesting time because it'll be like the first uh, announcement from RGG not under Nagoshi so it'll be under uh, Yokoyama. Um, and we know that they're working on like a dragon sequel, so this will likely be that, but we don't know for certain. They haven't explicitly stated. Uh, so that'll be revealed on the 14th as a stream. We've got a link on our news post here. So this will be something yeah. that we can definitely follow up on next week to see what is exactly announced here. This is uh, at the September 14th at 3 a.m. for Pacific. <laughs> I was I was gonna do like the conversion. I'm like, oh, 1900 yeah. hours Japan. Yeah, Japan I got it. Time. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so work around that. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be exciting. I I hope you see some cool things there besides like a dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might maybe something will be a surprise. We'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. You know, and I I guess looking ahead uh, the, because we did kind of talk about it at the at the top of the podcast that I did math it out because there's there's a lot of like weird things about this uh, the scheduling of this uh, TGS that like people might not know. Like, so obviously before TGS starts. Uh, uh, just at the beginning of the week, at uh, September 12th, there'll be a Demon X Machina third anniversary live stream, which is not really an RPG. If I did write a branching path about it, I think the main thing that people might be looking forward to this one is they might maybe show footage of the sequel or follow-up to Demon X Machina because they did briefly tease and talk about it at uh, a previous anniversary live stream that they were working on a follow-up, but not necessarily, you know, did it give a, a title or a anytime like you know they're just saying oh they're, they're working on it so maybe this is the time they'll um show it you know then after that on the, the 14th of 3 a.m pacific yeah the rgg thing um for people sickos like me uh at september 15th 3 30 a.m there's going to be a gundam game stream for tgs so you know we'll probably know more about dlc for sd gundam battle alliance They'll probably talk more about the G Generation Eternal mobile game. Um, probably some Battle Operation 2 stuff. So, you know, for people who are into Gundam games, uh, they'll talk about it there. Shortly after that, at 4 a.m., September 15th, this is when they go to Star Ocean. After that, it's going to be One Piece Odyssey. Then they're going to go to Cap- Capcom. There's actually a, a dedicated stage for um, an indie game that we talked about on this podcast uh, a few weeks back, the Mato Anomalies game. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, th- that has on dedicated stage as well on the fifteenth at nine p.m. Pacific. So this is this is the weird one. At nine at September fifteenth, eleven thirty p.m. This is when Konami is going to do their new title announcement stage. This is different from a a future Konami stream, the latest information special pro- program. This is the actual one that like people will want to have to keep their eye on. This is uh, the one hosted by Yuki Kaji, and I believe he was the seiyu, the voice actor for joey from suikin and two so that's why people are speculating like this might be like some sort of remaster or new suikin announcement uh at this specific uh time so that's definitely one i wanna you know be there for see what the, what they have on there um 
this this one this is another weird one. Um, at September sixteenth, two a.m. Pacific, five hundred five games will have their upcoming new titles uh, stream for for TGS. This is different from another stream happening at the same day, but at ten thirty p.m., which is uh, the AUDEN Chronicle Hundred Heroes latest info stream. So I don't know if that five hundred five game stream will have anything new for AUDEN Chronicle Hundred Heroes because that has its own separate latest info live stream block way later that day so no idea what the what, why they decided to separate these two um so shortly after that 2 a.m pacific stream for 5 by 5 games this is when koei tecmo is going to talk about their new gust announcement and then the wolong uh, fallen dynasty game mm-hmm. um at the same time that's starting this is when the saga series tgs uh broadcast is going to happen um, I don't think there's much to really look forward to the Saga, Saga series broadcast outside of um, the Minstrel Song remastered uh, at our end. I can't. I, I don't think there's anything else to talk about besides Reuniverse and all that. Um, an hour after that, at 4 a.m. Pacific, Sega will have their um, TGS live stream. I don't know if, if they're gonna talk about anything of note there besides Sonic Frontiers and the Persona re-releases. I don't know if they're announcing anything else. Um, 6 a.m. Pacific, not September 16th. This is there's, there's a Tales of series official live stream. I don't know if they're gonna announce any new Tales games. Well, like Adam like, says, he he keeps thinking remaster announcement of some sort. Oh if yeah, anything. yeah. What, what what was he thinking? Like uh, Adam, what were you thinking for like a remaster? Like, what do you think is like the next? Which Tales games would they go for? I would just, I would think probably Zelia or Graces because. They're already HD, they're early HD games, and they're kind of trapped on like PlayStation 3. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking Zillia when, when I was thinking mm-hmm. like a oh, remaster I want to see because that would be, I would assume, be bundled with Zillia too. But yeah, it'd be yeah. cool if it was like the, uh, well, the Symphonia remaster was weird because it's like 10 years old now, but it came to PS3 with both Symphonia games. But then when it came to PC, it was just the first one. Yeah. So, kind of weird. Yeah. It's weird, I don't know. but I would I would hope that they'd bundle it. Hmm. Um, also, I I don't know why they did this, but there there's a there's a separate stream, Square Enix stream of uh, Eiko Kano's Kirikano hit TGS twenty twenty two special stream, which is I think it's a, they're just gonna be like touring the booths for Square Enix because most of the Square Enix dedicated game streams are not till September seventeenth, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, after that, uh, Square Enix blocked it with Eiko Kano. There's Street Fighter VI, which uh, Chao and I will be keeping an eye on because that game looks sick. Um, hour after that, uh, or no, not hour after that, uh, later that night on 7 p.m. on uh, September 16th, there'll be a Falcom JDK band special concert, which are, is always great to tune in on because those people fucking are fucking legends. Um, then this is when you know the AU Dead Chronicle 100 Heroes latest info comes in later that night at 10:30 p.m. Pacific on September 16th. So we'll, you know, I'm very interested to see what they have to share on AU Dead Chronicle there. Um, September 17th, 2 a.m. Pacific. This is where all the Hoyoverse stuff uh, comes in. They'll have their own special program, which I assume they'll touch on Genshin, Zenla Zone Zero, Honkai Star Rail, probably Honkai Third Impact. As well, so anything you want from Hoyo, uh, it's all there. This is also the day the all the blocks when Square Enix starts getting out there. 
2.30 a.m. Pacific on September 17th. This is where Valkyrie Elysium and Harvestella have their special broadcast. So, and then after that is Deal Field Chronicle. And then um, later that night on 8.45 p.m. is when they're actually going to start talking about the Dragon Quest The Adventure of Die game project. So there's there's one app for a mobile game out for mobile or yeah, mobile game for Dragon Quest Die. But this also when they're gonna start talking about Infinity Strash, uh, which is the console game for Dragon Quest the Adventure of Die, which is I really want to see more of that. So it I'm feels like excited. that was announced forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. So this is they're gonna come out there. Um and I and then 11:30 p.m. September 17th, uh, you'll have Tactics Ogre Reborn, which is kind of like the last big block for, for Square Enix stuff and everything else is kind of like non-rpg you know you have did you mention the saga stream yep i did mention the saga stream that's oh yeah september 16th 3 a.m my time so i look forward to sleeping through all of these yep (laughs) i i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna do yet i'll I'll probably i'll probably stay up in the morning for at least the 16th 17th i i don't know about the others we'll see let's see how stupid i am this week if I if yep. I sound like, if I sound like death on the next podcast, you'll know why. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we don't sound too much like death. But yeah, next week's podcast, I have no idea what that outline will look like. Usually we have some idea, like oh, we'll cover this game or that game in this thing, but no idea what TG what will come out of TGS and how much will be relevant to us. But probably a lot. So yeah, uh, this we'll is, buckle this is in. Pretty exciting, ready for it. right? Like there's like one of the most packed TGSs we've had in a while, and that's <laughs> mainly because. Square Enix just has a fuckload of things coming out. Yeah, as <laughs> as we have covered on this podcast in numerous different capacities. Yeah. yeah, Square Enix is going ham this year and always has a presence at TGS. So those things combined, we'll probably have plenty of updates on all their titles next yeah. uh, week from now. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for the for this upcoming week, and my body won't be excited, but mentally, I'm I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. And that covers us for what we're looking forward to. So obviously the uh, RGG Studios new game stream and then all the stuff that Josh went through for uh, Hoyoverse and all the other uh, TGS streams that we talked about a couple weeks on the podcast with Bondi Nameco and Capcom and obviously Square Enix. So we will follow up with those once we know what drops and I will look forward to seeing uh, Josh's like midnight 3 a.m. you know posts in our in our chat box about what ends up getting revealed. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be like, let's fucking go. Meanwhile, everyone's like fucking asleep. <laughs> That's going to be sick. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, uh, Josh and Adam, for carrying the podcast for all the games that you've been playing, both new and old, uh, throughout the last week. We're getting into a heavy release window into September from uh, all the like Trails from Zero and the Pokemon games that are coming up and Star Ocean and all the other things. Dio Field is one that I think could go under the radar, but I'm probably most excited for. Uh, we have the two reviews up on the site for Steel Rising and Made in Abyss, so go ahead and read through those. Uh, we have all the uh, details up on the site for like the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet uh, news news update, the Cyberpunk expansion, and of course the, uh, the blog post for Dragon Quest Treasures releasing in December. Uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. We do have a Discord channel uh, server, so go ahead and go to discord.gg slash RPG site or hit the link at the top of the RPG site.net homepage. If you have listened to the end of this three-hour podcast and you've made it this far, we'd like to hear your feedback. So if you listen to us uh, either through our directly through our website or through something like Spotify or iTunes, go ahead and leave us an honest review. We'd like to hear your feedback. Uh, your honest feedback and give us uh, something to look uh, work towards to know what we're doing well and what we need what we could improve on 
we'll be back next week with all the TGS news, as we've stated. So look forward to hearing all of that then. Until you hear from us next week, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you next time.